Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll do a show then. Uh, yeah, I think we should do. A oh, show. this is great. <laughs> oh, 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 this oh, is guys. great. Oh, gosh. Jeez, oh, guys. Oh. oh, man. By the way, I, I yeah. forgot to tell you in a couple couple episodes ago, in respects to my birthday, I obviously am not on Facebook. I, 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 um, I know there's always the happy birthday things, but it was funny is I, I had to go on there uh, to post a message. And while I was on there, I hadn't been on for like a month, and I checked like my notifications, and it was like, somebody posted something on your page. And I was like, what? And I go on there, and it was... A friend of mine was like, happy belated birthday. Two days before my birthday, which means they were 363 days belated. They were like, I yeah. had no idea. <laughs> happy belated birthday from last year? Yeah. <laughs> Whenever I see a billboard. I actually thought at first I was like, it's, but it wasn't a comedian, so otherwise it would have been a good comedian joke. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. And I'm John Huck. Right, I always think when story. I see a billboard that's out after, you, it's been up, obviously, and the movie's already out, and they're like, let's say like uh, it was uh, movie comes out October 10th. And uh, the billboard's up, and it's, you know, October 15th. And you're like, starting October 10th, you're like, man, they got ahead of that, huh? That's like a whole, <laughs> almost a whole year ahead. That's crazy. <laughs> but obviously, you can't change billboards. I saw guys changing a billboard the other you day. You can barely change people, John. I can Why would you think? my pants. Why? <laughs> okay. I need right. new jeans, dude. Uh, you have any new jeans you're getting rid of? Uh, maybe. Hurry and look. I, I need know. clothes. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Aren't you still? Are you just have you burned through all the workout wear? Oh no, I love that stuff. John's got physical. They can't wear that on stage. Oh yeah, fair enough. Well, you could if you're a new thing. I'm the new workout comic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he never mentions working out. Oh, no, it's like having a guitar on your back and never playing it. Ooh, right? could be your new angle. Ding ding. America's looking for new angles, John. <laughs> yeah, a new comedy. America's angles. got angles. <laughs> um, uh, should we bring our guest? Yes, in? our guest uh, today. Um, director. I'm probably I'm probably not going in the order that he's achieved these things, but I would say director, okay. writer, producer, editor. So far, he hasn't said no. Um, not actor. Mm, once. Once. Okay, so technically, yes. Actor John Michael Powell. John Michael all together. John Michael. Hyphen- yeah, it's hyphenated. hyphenated. John Michael. It's like one name. So, but if there was no hyphen and you just smashed it together, it'd be John John Michael. That's right. John Michael. John, John Michael. Michael. Uh, John Michael Powell, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Excellent, dude. Thank right. you for uh, doing the show. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So, what was the one acting gig? Yeah, and well, was it against <laughs> your will? Because the way you answered it, it seems like you were <laughs> you were not pumped. Well, no, it's funny because I did a short. I was kind of in a like desperate creative place where I'm sure we've all been there, where you just nope. want to make something. <laughs> yes, you know, you're just dying uh, while things are in a slow moment. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm just gonna make a short film next week. And literally gave myself a week to write something. And I it ended up being this strange kind of rumination on being creatively stuck. And it was okay. all told from the main character talking to another version of himself, kind of a la adaptation. Okay. And then I was like, I called my buddy to be in it and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make it I'm gonna make the character actually me. And I'm gonna be the actor and I'm gonna act with another version of myself. And so I used a lot of editing tricks because, I, like I said, you said, I, I came up as an editor. So I kind of yeah. knew how to do some editing tricks and have myself perform with myself. But I, I, the reason when you asked I gave that face is because I'm a terrible actor. I will never do it again. Which, it which version of you? Which one of, the, which one of the guys that you performed at was the worst? That's funny. You know, my <laughs> wife watched it. Because th- the character, there's one version that's kind of cocky and like, you, you know, you can do it, man. Do it. And the other one's like, no, I'm the starving artist. 
And surprisingly, the cocky guy I uh, was better at because I think it wasn't. That's not really a version of myself. I'm but that, no, that's like the guy. version your uh, wife wanted. Is yeah, that what you like, said? You should try being that guy. That guy's a hunk. Yeah, where's that guy? Yeah, I had a couple of people mention. They were like, "Man, you were really good as that one." And I was like, "But that's not me." But also, I love how like you're playing both roles. And instead of saying you're really good in that, they're like, "You're really good as that guy." Yeah, like, exactly. But you know I when you play yourself, <laughs> you know when you're yourself. Stop that. That one sucks. Don't you do that. Stop anymore. that altogether. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I think that's interesting though. So you weren't cast; you cast yourself. Like I, I literally, well, yeah, I cast myself. I mean, technically, you were cast. Yeah, I by was yourself. cast. I acted as casting director, writer, producer, director, actor. <laughs> so it's just yeah. the credits are all your name. It's like one that. of those short films. Where you was see. that what, ha- what happened in the casting session? You took a role against yourself. <laughs> that's right. I will now be asking myself a question for myself as the editor myself. Definitely. Well, wait a minute. Editors those. don't normally are not in the casting. Why is sessions. the editor in the casting session? I have a few post production questions this relating yourself, be, self. Could be important. Yes. Uh, why did you get into editing? Yeah. So, I when I was growing up, I was a musician. Uh, I played in a lot of bands. I played. What do you play? Gu- guitar, guitar, bass, drums, all the rock stuff. I was in like where? Uh, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, here he is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look yeah, at you. A magical land. Big time. <laughs> That's crazy. <A> magical <laughs> land. Yeah. No, I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas, a small town, but. Um, Bill Clinton's town. Bill Clinton's town. That's kind of our claim to fame. Like, if you think, most people, when I say Arkansas, it's either the Clintons or Walmart. Those are our two. Oh, wow. Okay. We created Walmart. I told you. I think so I never the Razorbacks. That's good for the Razorbacks, yeah, I my, guess. My grand, I had a grandfather that lived in, uh, my grandparents, um, my mom's mom and her husband lived in uh, Mountain Home, Arkansas. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we would drive down there. Yeah, yeah. 12-hour car ride from Illinois until they put in, because we used to have to take it to a, a ferry drive onto the ferry, the ferry would take like 45 minutes to an hour getting across some river or whatever, or a lake, and then we would drive off from there, but then they built a bridge at one point. That's interesting. It took like an hour and a half off the trip, which was nice. That's nice. I've, yeah. been, to, I've been to Mountain Home, small yeah. town. Oh, very, very, very. There was a water park there for a second, yeah. but I think I scraped my You mean my a slide with it. a hose? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty much. Okay. That's Literally cement, <laughs> cement that you went down that like, I really do remember like a bleeding nipple at one point. <laughs> so... So there you were in Little Rock, <laughs> trying to get reading out. all of your favorite children's books about Bill Clinton, your president. That's right. And you said to yourself, "What?" I I mean, I said to myself, "I don't want to disparage Arkansas, but I always really wanted to get out of Arkansas." But you know what? I'm gonna and and I'm gonna agree with you there, and I'm gonna protect you there. Okay. Insert any city or where you Correct. came from. There's yeah. a reason why you were here. It's not to necessarily just. Dis- I mean, for some people it is. Sure. But most people, it's not. It's just like you go. This is probably not where I'm going to finish up. For sure. And I this mean, is not where my journey lies. And that's not an offensive... I mean... No, and, and look, I had a great time growing up in Little Rock. I never... It's not like I was ever growing up going, this is the worst place on the planet, get me out. It was... I mean, there was a certain amount of angst, like any teenager You were a angst. kid, though, yeah. Yeah, yeah but... We've uh, all seen Empire Records. That's or right. Or maybe no one has. I have no idea. Are you kidding? I love Empire Records, of course. But you've seen, like, every movie. I don't know about every movie, but Empire Records, for sure. Um... <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, I was growing up in, in Little Rock, and I was always, like, into the arts, and, uh, you know, I, I just always wanted to be a musician or an artist, and I knew that wasn't going to be done the way I wanted to do it in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, so, yeah, I initially, I finished high school, and I spent a couple of years at the University of Arkansas. Um, just Razorback. Razorback. I am a Razorback fan, big football fan. Um, you I, have no choice, right? Is that part of you have, to sign, really, you have to sign a waiver? Yeah, right. Okay. No, I mean, that is a birthright in Arkansas. It's just kind of what you do. We, that's our NFL team. 
Um, so Razorback football and Razorback basketball, and not to okay. get it too far into it. But when I was a kid, they were amazing. Yeah, they had was, they had a good run. For yeah, when, when I was growing up in '94, '95, we won the championship in '94. Went back to back, lost in '95 to UCLA and the O'Bannon brothers. That's a long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, uh, it didn't stick in your no, car. Yeah, yeah. Not, he's not carrying any issues. <laughs> no, right no, no, no. Yeah, but um, but yeah, when I do when you have I, any sad photos of you uh, painted completely in red with like a Razorback hat on or anything like I that? I was not painted red, but I vividly remember in 1995, the night the Razorbacks lost to UCLA, I was in tears. Okay, I literally broke down into tears, and I'm not really even that kind of sports fan anymore. I mean, I've grown up since I was yeah, 12. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't cry when the Razorbacks lose every week. <laughs> that would but, be a lot of crying. <laughs> Your wife but, would be like, Ugh. yeah. <laughs> but I do remember taking that one really hard and. Again, crying like you're a little a kid. bit. It's just, it well, matters. I will say, there's nothing wrong with crying. It just looks weird when you're dressed up. Yeah, that's true. That's, and painted it's sadder. And stuff. It's sadder when your face is painted. Because it's, 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 uh, it's so bipolar because you got dressed up for the most, the greatest day of your you life. And the, it's, it ends in tears. <laughs> it's just a little bit of a weird thing. But anyway, so it's back weird. to your story. <laughs> yeah, no. And so, yeah, no, I graduated uh, high school, went to the University of Arkansas for a couple of years. I was a studio art major. I was what does that mean? That means you're basically getting a degree that. It's going to be meaningless. I could draw. I figured out, okay. Could you have said that without going to school? Like, just going around and told people? I could draw. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I basically, I, I got to college and I said, what am I going to study? And I remember going through the orientation and they were like, you should study business. And I was like, yeah, I like business, but I can draw. <laughs> I like business. I, I frequented businesses. <laughs> I do business sometimes. I'm a business guy. Do business. And then uh, ended up in the studio arts program. I really liked painting. My grandfather was a uh, was an oil painter, so I grew up with him around. So I kind of I was into the arts like that way too. So I was studying studio art, and I was also playing in bands, and kind of realizing my about my halfway through my freshman year that I wanted to get out of Arkansas. At the University of Arkansas, it's a big state school, so like ninety percent of my graduating class was then at the University of Arkansas. Meaning everybody you went to high school with just carried right over with you to school. A okay. good portion. Okay. I mean, enough where like I'd be walking around campus and it's like, oh man, I got to see you again. Another, I just spent four another years. Not four that I didn't years. Love them, but no, but you didn't feel like you know a lot of people college is like their next big step away right. from everything that you've known. That's right? You're right. just right. like going to another high school that's in right. the area. And, yeah. And yeah, for me, it wasn't the Ar- University of Arkansas thing wasn't that. And, and so I was at that point in my life, I was like, I got to get out and just see new horizons, new faces. Um, and you like any whatever 20-year-old kid. I was dating a girl at the time who was at the University of North Texas in Denton, uh, which is a cool little town. I and know, then I was I like, know where Denton, Texas yeah, is. Yeah, it's a cool little town. Um, and so I was like, I'm going to go to school down in Texas, and I transferred to TCU. Because of a girl. Because of a girl. Cool. Yeah, I transferred to TCU. Which big is in big boy Ward. choices there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I'm Man. sure this will end well. Well, the second I moved <laughs> down there, we broke up. Oh, that's weird. Of course. Curious. But can I tell you something? Yeah. I can't tell you how many stories we have heard. A million. That it took that to get someone in. It took that weird, broken relationship that puts you in a trajectory. Wow, that, yeah. You know what I mean? I like never everything, really thought about it, but everything you're right. Everything has yeah. a... Per, everything, all, even the shittiest things in your life have some weird purpose that when you put together your life puzzle, you go... Oh shit! Yeah, no wonder I did that. Yeah, wow! I never really thought about it, but if if I had not, you feel free to her, use life puzzle whenever but, you. But I will use life puzzle. <laughs> that's a good yeah, trademark. If you had followed her and <laughs> you hadn't done that, I, I then I yeah no I wouldn't have uh, I wouldn't I certainly don't think I would be here doing what I'm doing. But uh, what was or the, it would have been a different. <laughs> you might have found it eventually, but 
Yeah, through not a different when you did. Route, yeah. yeah, a different route. Yeah. So you get to, you get there and you break up, and now you're in Denton and you're in North Texas and what? <laughs> North Texas, and I applied to a graphics art program. So I went from like traditional painting to I was really into like gra- I was really good with Photoshop. That was like one of the first like programs I ever pirated when I was like twelve. Why? And that's I mean that you could see that as kind of the wave of. And that was the that future. was clearly going to yeah. be the future at that yeah. point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I got yeah. really enamored with Photoshop, so I was really into photo manipulation and stuff like that. So I really wanted to get into graphics, uh, graphic arts. So then I took a typography course, which is just basically a nerdy way of dissecting uh, font faces and oh. designing your own font faces. Weird. Okay. Getting which really I love, by the way. It's a weird obsession. It's I have a weird. Is, is but it's, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I took a really. I was in a strenuous. Uh, graphic arts program at TCU. They have a really good graphic arts program that kind of funnels out a lot of people into the Dallas graphic arts scene, which is a really good ad market. Go figure. So you can get a lot of graphic arts work. Um, and it was the type of program that basically like a hundred or so kids would start off the program and every semester they would whittle away. And by the end of the, the four years or, or however long you're in the program, like 20 ended up graduating. Just wow. Like American Idol. Yeah. They're, graphics. <laughs> they're picking your design and like the rest are shit. Get them out of yeah, here. No, get this. So like at the, at, at the end of every semester, they would have a, a basically a, a, a showing of your work that you've been working on the semester. They'd put it up and they'd basically take laser pointers. The administration would take it apart bit by bit going, yeah, you're really good at this. You suck at this. And they would just wow. wipe your nose and like, you know, um, just the tiniest of details. It was really, really detail Because you get into art because you want it critiqued by people that didn't have anything to do with the making of it and tell you that it's shit. Yeah, you know the weird thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something like that, yeah, Something yeah. Something like that. The weird thing is, like, I, I feel like I was a lazy art. Like, I got into the arts, because, or like, traditional arts, just because I liked, like I said, like, I like drawing. And like eventually, I realized, oh yeah, I'm I'm really good at like drawing what I want to draw, but like throwing my stuff up and getting it picked apart. I was like that rebellious kid who was like, well, I wasn't even like, you don't get me. It was more like, I don't care to what like think. draw the perfect T and yeah. have it be perfectly spaced on some Snickers packet. You know, I just got tired of that, and it showed. And then I, I think I made it like three semesters maybe in the program, and then they were like, okay, you need to go do something else. And <laughs> you need to go. <laughs> you need to leave. They tell you. Yeah, no, they lay it, they lay it out. They go, uh, okay, you're not going to progress in the program, but these are the other studies that we think you would be strong at, um, knowing your personality. Good luck. And they were like, it was like... You're like, wait a minute, this <laughs> class says just asshole people. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what? wait, what? Knowing your personality. Know, right? But... I'll never be that guy except to that one time I'm going to act in the future. You'll see. Yeah, exactly. All right, so continue. Exactly. Um, so they, yeah, w- they basically laid out a couple cr- uh, study paths, and one of them was film. And um, Okay. Yeah, and so I was, like, baffled that you could get a degree in watching movies <laughs> because that was just something I did. <laughs> yeah, for you. The, I mean, you like, would do for free for the rest of your are life. Are you kidding? Yeah. It, yeah, I guess now looking back, I was kind of, I, I guess a lot of people are when they're in college, but I was just kind of in a wayward place where I was trying to figure out what the heck I wanted to do with sure. my life. I certainly was one of those kids that was like came out of the womb going, I'm going to be Steven Spielberg, and had like a Super 8 camera. And, right. Um, I mean, looking back on it now, I see the kernels of how that stuff was forming when I was younger, but it was really getting thrust into the film program at TCU where I was like, oh, I went in going, I get to sit all day and watch movies and take tests on that? Great. And then about halfway through the second semester I was in the program, I was like, oh, no, like, I, I'm good at this. Like, most of the kids would be sitting around watching a movie going, yeah, it's good. And I'm like, yeah, but 
I, I don't know. I just got it. I like understood theory. I understood breaking down movies. I could, I got really into like you do when you're a snotty 20 year old kid. I got into French new wave stuff. And like, I started watching things that weren't necessarily what I was seeing at like a movie theater in Little Rock, which you can imagine is <laughs> everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Colored movies with talking people. <laughs> yeah. Colored yeah. movies with talking people. Um, but yeah. I like how you say in your 20s, as you do, you get into French new, whatever the fuck you just said. <laughs> like, that's not what I did in my 20s. Well, really? no, but I understand him because I went to film school. You were kidding. And you, you, you go into. out of film school. Yeah, well, but I was there. <laughs> But I was there for two Because you made a movie years. that people could understand, nice. and they were like, I mean, no, uh, yeah, I mean, we don't want to see your stupid thing that makes sense. Here's Garbage. The here's the thing about it, though, and I don't know how you, if you have this perspective mm. post, but I, 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 I went to film school at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. It was an avant-garde film, oh, cool. film school, so yeah. their, their focus was on avant-garde. You, know, you, you could take other, other classes that were more, you know, discussed, that would do, like, break down Alfred Hitchcock, break down narrative. But the majority of it was avant-garde filmmaking. Wow, that's cool. And I kept making narratives, and that's yeah. why I was asked to leave. Because they're basically like, look, buddy, this guy over here is making a movie that makes no sense about a guy jacking off and killing himself. Now, you need to do more like that. Right. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck it is, and that's what makes it avant-garde. Now, you're making something, and I know exactly where this is going. It's a narrative, so get out. So, that's so if all you I could care. just make it black and white, throw Hitler into it for no reason, yeah, yeah. and then also have some guy masturbating Masturbate. in the corner. Yeah, I would watch that movie. Uh, <laughs> so... Um, but you know you got to respect the, whatever their world was, and they were like, nah. They, so they grade you out basically. You had to right. get a B or higher, and they so gave it a B like minus, and I B minus out. Yeah, yeah so same. I B minus out. But in post, looking back on it, yeah, what I got out of it was not that I was ever going to make avant garde films. You, I, I appreciated the style, and you can t- and you and now when you watch narratives, you see how people grabbed. From that to Little create pieces, their narratives, for yeah. sure. Right, that's sure. that's what I got. I don't know if you got any any of that out of it, but that's when I look back and I go, "Oh shit, yeah, a lot of that stuff was wackadoodle." But for sure, there were some great <laughs> ways they told the story that you could actually grab and use into a narrative. Uh, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, for me, yeah, I think obviously you don't realize it at the time. It's easy for us to look back now and go, "Oh, okay, I see how that had an effect." Or you pick and choose what kind of you take along with you on your creative journey. To become an artist, but life the, puzzle. Yep, life puzzle. Man, trademark it. Um, <laughs> I I think at the time I just was like blown away that movies could look a different way and sound a different way, and I wasn't so far you know so much getting into the avant garde stuff yet. Um, but just the idea that they didn't all have to look the same and be the yeah, same. Yeah, it, it was a kind of endless. Yeah, and I mean if you go back and look at the French New Wave stuff, it's so antithetical to everything Hollywood. I mean it's like. Oh. It's low budget. It's handheld cameras. It's no lighting. You know, actors, two actors walking down the street talking. It's the first web series of its time. Yeah, ki- <laughs> kind of. In a true, in a, in a way, you're yeah. not you're not wrong. Yeah. Um, the thing is, back then they had like some of the greatest f- French directors making them, so they were just brilliant. Like and web series. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, but wait, are you saying the web series market is cornered by French people? It's all French, John. Um, no, I was don't get say, us in trouble, John. Well, I forgot what okay. I was going to say. Go ahead. No, yeah, and, and it, it, so yeah, so I started watching that stuff and like actually realizing that there was, uh, I wouldn't say so much at the time. I realized I could have a career in film, but I realized what I was good at, and I suddenly became. Up until that point, I think it was all music. I, I was in bands. I did a little touring. 
I should say at this same time, while I was finding my way in film, I was realizing I really did not want to be a professional musician for the rest of my life. Really? Yeah, I mean... Was I, it the heroin or... Yeah, it was the smelly vans and the lugging <laughs> your gear out of, like, some, you know... Shitty bar and... Some bar? Are you kidding? I play. I remember playing a show in... Where was it? I think I was in Davenport, Iowa. No, I'm sorry. Clorinda, Iowa. Small little town. I mean, there may be 75 people in this town, and I played in the back of a hunting shop. There's dead deer on the wall. Cool. Yeah, they didn't even have a stage. They had like a PA. I'm we with show you. Up. You tell me when you get to the bad part. I'm <laughs> with you. <laughs> but Sounds I mean, like yeah, comedy. You know, the 17 <laughs> kids that lived in town came out to the show we played, and then you lug your gear back into the van. They give you like $13 that you made, Yeah. and you buy Taco Bell and yeah. gas and make it to the next town, and... So you sit in the van with three smelly other dudes yep. with $13 between you, and you go, what am I, uh, how, how is this, this is not fun. And, I mean, not everybody gets on the tour bus and goes and plays, you know, Madison Square Garden. Um, and at that point, I was just like, this is, I love music, but I just, I'm not in it. That was not your grind. journey. That was not my journey. I didn't want to do that grind. Um, and I was just starting to become really passionate about film and, like, really thinking about, like, oh, <clears throat> how films can be, you know, bigger and broader than just, like, not that I don't love Jurassic Park, but, like, whatever the multiplex movie is at the, the time. Yeah, the blockbuster of the... Yeah, yeah, and I think that's what film school afforded me. I was always the rebellious kid. Like, uh, I had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. I mean, I was always the nice guy, but I was, always, like, kind of the punk kid who was like, I'm going to do things differently, and I'm... If you tell me to do it a certain way or tell me that I can't do it specifically then I'm going to find a way to do it. may not be the best. I may not be the best at making whatever it is I'm trying to make, but I'm going to do it despite you. And so, uh, you know, I think when I was in Fort Worth, Texas, at film school, it was never really, like, pushed on you that you could go to Hollywood and make a career out of it. It was mostly, like, just, like, yeah, you know, like, there's commercial work in Dallas you could do. They're oh, they were like, trying to keep you in Texas. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't like a broad, it wasn't like a USC or no, like a but, NYU. But see, here's my beef yeah. with with the educational system. They don't broaden your horizons when it comes to options. No. Here are all the ways you can go about doing stuff. And and I have that same problem with like people like that you know as you know with high school and college a- athletics. Yeah. Are maybe it's changed now, but like they should be saying about like look, man, I get it. I get that you want to be a professional, whatever. Sure. But but the odds are against you. But you know what? There are millions, thousands of careers within that field, within that industry, all over the United States that you could that you could have that as your other plan. Sure. And it's it's it. But they never tell you that. They just kind of always give that. Well, you're not really. I mean, look. You know, let's just keep it minimal here, and uh, I'll get you out of here because I got to go talk to somebody else. And it's like I feel like sometimes we're being cheated with how much information. We're be, or we're not being given. Yeah, yeah. Right? that's being withheld. It's a little bit different now, I, Maybe. I think. Maybe. It's hard to speak to that because I haven't been in film school in 16 years or but so. But meaning that because of the internet, like you, you can, can actually... You know. Sure. You know there's a world out there that but if you didn't have a lot of that access... Oh, 100%. Unless you knew an uncle, that a crazy uncle that worked in Hollywood... Always That crazy. no one ever really talks Dude. about. He's living his dreams. Yeah. Dreams are for the weak, all right? That's You're going right. to get a jab. 100%. I, when I graduated college... I knew nobody in L.A., like zero. I knew zero. I got in my Jeep with my dog and drove to L.A. and was like, I'm just going to find a place to stay. How'd that work and out for you? I mean, well, I, I didn't. <laughs> I, I mean, I haven't left, and I've been working This is since. when? This is 2005. Okay. So this is about 
what, 15 years ago. Um, Bold move, bringing the pet with you, but I, but I get it. I'm a pet guy, so I get it. But that's, but you know, going in, that's going to limit your access to certain things. And they're, though they're fairly tolerant in some respects out here with that, but not as tolerant as you would think that they would be. Well, so I convinced, I convinced two or three other of my friends from film school back in Fort Worth. I was like, let's all go out to LA and give it a shot. Like just, you know, um, and we did. We ended up just renting a big house in Van Nuys back at the time, and like we got a Van Nuys theme, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, a lot of Van back to back Van Nuys themes. Oh yeah, that's what. And also a great movie called Van Nuys Boulevard. Watch it. Oh okay. It's a Van exploitation film, and no, it is not good. Oh okay. But that's why you should watch I it because it's it unbelievable, out. and you're gonna love the theme song. Continue. Okay, I'm in. It's gonna it. be your new theme song for when you moved out here. Okay, great. Your I'm retro theme it. song. Here we well, go. I mean, I chose Van Nuys because I could afford it. We basically got a tenement house with five people that had three bedrooms. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe. Maybe it had two. Um, and one, <laughs> one was another room you guys So the made dog got room. one. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And everybody else shared the other one. Oh. It's a new sitcom. Five guys we called shared, Smelly. Yeah. And so, yeah. Dog and guys. I just kind of came out. I think I, at the time I was, you know, in film school, I, like, I think it was actually going back to the Photoshop. I went from, I was always kind of the computery kid. Like, I could figure out how to use software Firstly, I could figure out how to pirate it. Not that I'm proud of that. But when you're 15, you get your hands on whatever you can. And this is back in the 90s. So, like, you get your hands on whatever you can. I couldn't afford... I was a poor kid in Little Rock. I couldn't afford Photoshop. you don't have to justify it. Yes. Steal away, my friend. You were were a young adult male, and you were on the dark web. That's right. Okay. And so I went from Photoshop (laughs) to... Uh, when I was in bands, I started recording all the bands. So I got into... It was before Pro Tools even existed, I think, at the time. It was like... Cubase and DigiDesign, whatever those programs were that ended up being bought by whoever ended up making Pro Tools. But I mean, yeah, making them better. Yeah, yeah, I could figure out, okay, this is how to loop in a mic and how to get like a good tone and reverb and whatever. And I was, so I got really good at software. So then when I was in college and I got into film school and they had Avids, I was like, oh, I could totally figure out an Avid. I'll get on the Avid and just like play around and figure out how to make a movie. And that's how I got into editing. So it all kind of started with just computers and software. And so by the time I was leaving film school, I had kind of kind of ingratiated myself with all the other film students as the like in-house editor. So I would end up editing all, all the, their all, all the, the projects kids movies, right? They were terrible as most film student movies are. What do you expect? Yeah. But at the time I was like, "Oh, I can use an Avid. I can I can by the time I left film school, I was pretty proficient at Avid." Um, so then when I got out to LA and I was living in the tenement in Van Nuys, I just started sending out my resume to anybody who had like any kind of opening in post thinking like, Oh, I have avid skills. So that's a way into, you know, filmmaking. And my, my goal was always the minute I stepped out here was I wanted to make feature films. Like that was always the goal. And so I just sent, I think I, my first summer here, I must've sent like 300 resumes, like everywhere and only got one bite, and that was oh. to be a digitizer at Buna Murray. I don't even know how you say it now. Buna Murray. They were the, the real world people, right? Yeah. Back in the day, they made real world. Buna Murray is massive. Are they still around? Yes. They're probably still around. Okay. Yes. So I started out as a logger on, I think the first show I worked on was called Bad Girls Club. Yeah. Which was basically yeah. a bunch 2005? of... 2005? Yeah, right, right, 2005. Yeah, yeah, Bad Girls Club was uh, not on MTV. No, it was Is like... Is that a Kira Sultanovich show? No, that was Girls Behaving Badly. Oh. That was oh, a hidden, yeah, that right, was a right. hidden camera show. Okay. Dana and Julia, Kira Sultanovich, Chelsea Handler, and a couple other people. Bad Girls Club was this, like... There was... There, Punked was out. There was, like, tr- p- Trick My Ride or Pimp My oh, yeah, Car or whatever. Right. And then there was... 
starting in on these like not the nitro circus but like just ideas of like j- like jackasses of perfect bunch of dudes hanging out together being fucking idiots bad girls club was sort of that for women yeah i mean it was basically the dregs of like some college sorority who were all borderline criminal you throw them in a house <laughs> add booze and then they all end up just punching each other yeah um, oh, so you got to see all the raw footage that uh, never... I mean, I literally looked at every... I transcribed every bit of dialogue in all the raw Oh, tapes. which I'm sure was some of the most riveting dialogue you've ever transcribed. Oh, my God. Mine... I mean, I would work 6 p.m. to 3 a.m. every night. Oh, my I God. I would sit at a computer with six other people. We'd sit in a room and just sit there with headphones, headphones on. Headphones on. Yeah, the transcribers yeah. always look miserable on those yeah, shows. But I will say, like, obviously, I'm, it's easy to make fun of Bad Girls Club and, like, that kind of programming, but... It got me in the door into a place that, for better or worse, I realized I didn't want to be, but gave me the necessary skills to work in the industry as, like, an adult. To be like, okay, this is how a show runs. This is the hierarchy. You you figure out really quick who is really good at their job, who's really bad at their Hold job. Hold on, are you saying you actually paid attention to things that were going on around you? I paid a little bit of attention. Huh. And that's okay. what you got to do. And I, I, I keep going back to this thing my mom said to me a long time ago when I got my first job and I said it sucked. She was like, well, now you know what you don't want to do. But, like, you get in because reality is a, is a way in for a lot of us. Like, yeah, yeah. technically, it was my way in. Like, I was on Temptation Island and, yeah, for sure. and a couple of those shows. And and you get in and you're like, you being on the crew, your production assistant, it's all exciting because there's sure. cameras, you're shooting, you got to go, we're rolling, cut, action, woo, woo. Everything's fucking. But then you slowly realize that, like, oh, I don't want to be associated with this kind of garbage. <laughs> right. So you look for other avenues and it's it literally i i mean i got into hidden camera uh, because of actually what happened at, on 9-11 and and the show i was oh, on wow. being canceled and all this other stuff and leading me to be a production assistant on the jamie kennedy experiment oh yeah but I love that show. but th- that was where i was like no i like comedy i like comedy i want to do something in comedy i want right. to be in comedy and i just started working harder for that type of thing yeah that's, that's but but knowing like getting in and seeing that like oh if i can i can still stay in here i can learn more i can i can fucking figure out like you said, because you can see the people who you're like, oh, I like the way this guy works or this girl works. Sure. I, I, they're 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 grounded. They're smart. Because you meet a lot of fucking blowhards and wackadoos oh and God. fuck faces and all this kinds is, of this fucking. This industry is the king of people failing upward, dude. I mean, it's unbelievable. We uh, literally the last three episodes we've talked about people that just the shittier they are at their job, the higher they make it up the fucking ladder because people don't. It's like that. Sign, I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld, oh, are you but like. You? Elaine promoting that psycho oh, yeah. at Jay Peterman because <laughs> she just didn't want to see him anymore. Yeah. And she's like, well, if I, if I promote him, at least he's out of my office right. and I don't have to see him. And it's like, that is the kind of shit that goes on regularly in this oh, town. Oh, regularly. Uh, and, at, you know, Murray, I mean, I, I, oh. yeah, I quickly, I actually, now that I think back, I got fired from Buena Murray. It's the really? only time I've ever been fired in my life. Got wow. It. It's okay. It's like getting it's like getting arrested and having that mug shot. I mean, it's okay to be fired at least once, as long as it's not I'm, one that's going to... In hindsight, I'm proud. I mean, yeah. I'm not I'm proud. proud. You should be. You <laughs> should be. I mean, I it actually, takes a lot to get fired in this industry. I, yeah, and I was wrongfully fired. I think oh. they... Yeah, well, it was, a mis- it was a misunderstanding. Wait a minute. Is this like an office-based thing where, like, they yeah. fired the wrong guy, and the guy that you were, that was supposed to fire is now running the company? Company. Sort of. I think <laughs> I, there was a misunderstanding, and H- HR brought me in and had this whole talk with me. It was like very office spacey, and I was like, "Wait, uh, guys, I I didn't do any of this." And they, it was basically like, "Well, we already fired you, so you're gonna have to leave." <laughs> and um, and I literally they walked me out of the building on like a Friday, and everybody like watched me, and I was like, an ass- I had worked my way up to assistant editor. I was real world season eighteen or nineteen or something, 
And they're like, you're going to leave. You're going to have to leave. And I was like, well, this is the most embarrassing moment of my life. Like w- this whole company of walk, we, walk me out for something I didn't do. For something. Yeah, I think my friend who, who's on the show, we, I think we left in the middle of the day to, to go watch Grindhouse. We went to the movie theater but it was um, the last day of the show or something. It was the last day of one show, and we were the next day we were starting a new show. So we were just flipping over to a new show. So we were doing like we were doing online stuff to just finish the show, and we had turned over the master tapes to the guy who was doing online. So we had like three hours in the middle of the day where they were like, our post super at the time was like, you can go home, but just keep keep your phone on in case something goes wrong with the online that kind of thing. And we just went down the street to watch Grindhouse because we wanted to see the new Tarantino, you know, Rodriguez thing and. Ended up coming back because something went wrong with the online, and there was this whole thing about, well, you left in the middle of your shift, and we're going to fire you. It's unprofessional or something, and it was all this heat shed. Ultimately, it was the penultimate example of what is wrong with corporate structure, and it's just like mm, bad communication, and at the end of the day, I was the low man on the totem pole, so I got the chopping block so somebody else wouldn't look like an idiot. It's add, fine. It, add it to the puzzle. Add it to it, the it's, puzzle. I guarantee you it's going to come back somewhere. Yeah. There's, a yeah. lesson, uh, no, there's a lesson learned in there somewhere. Yeah. Never so. be the low man on the totem pole. doesn't even matter if it's as simple as that. So after you get out of that, though, so yeah. how are you formulating who you want to be, and how are you trying to decide how to get there? Yeah, well, I mean, that actually, now that I think back, because kn- nobody ever sits around and thinks about the trajectory of their... But now that you're making me think about this, I realize that was like the moment that things kind of changed for me because oh i was <laughs> forced back into where i was before beautimore i was just sending out resumes and trying to find my kind of like where i'm gonna go next see and i this is back in the like craigslist and mandy days i don't oh. know if those are people still look for so jobs you on. had and misconnections <laughs> right and, yeah, uh, exactly. yeah. <laughs> you were the boss hiring i was the employee with the <laughs> resume we missed each other on the subway right. is craigslist still a thing yeah, I think so. I it think is. it exists. Are we are we are we all have we all aged out we, of Craigslist? Unless no, I, I'll go on there every once in a while looking for deviant. jobs. Yeah, oh, okay. Do you still every look once in a great while, yeah, I look for a job on Craigslist. Then what do you get instead? A a, a, a picture of someone's penis? <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't. Click uh, on I was looking a manual for... dick pic. That's right. <laughs> It's a non-text. Hey, <laughs> this is a developed film. <laughs> yeah. uh, what the? Oh God! So you're on Craigslist. So I'm on Craigslist, and um. I, I just start applying. Craigslist is going to become a theme in my career. I don't know how this worked out, but I ended up just applying to sending out resumes. And I got a, a hit back um, from a company. It was called National Banana at the time. They were a startup, and they were based out of Santa Monica. And basically, do you guys know who Jerry Zucker is? Did yeah. air, directed Airplane, yeah. First Night, Zucker, Ghost, Abram, Zucker. Zucker, Abram, Zucker. So... Jerry Naked of Gun. Zucker Ab- Naked Gun, which is fantastic. Uh-huh. Uh, Jerry was breaking off to do try to get into web comedy. I rem- do you remember this company? I remember this. I remember. Yeah, go yeah. go ahead. I so remember that happening. National. This one must have been around two thousand eight, two thousand nine at the time. National Lampoon was pretty much dissolved. Right, and I think that's where he got that. He was like, I'm he gonna- wanted to be the next thing. That's yeah. right. So he called it National Banana. And it, the it's logo like was like a funny little banana kind of thing. And so the the concept was we were going to make kind of one to three minute web comedy videos. And Jerry would get his friends to come out and be in the videos. We They bought a stage and like a sound. A, I wouldn't even call it a sound stage. It was basically an empty warehouse. An area. They would put up a green screen and we would shoot a bunch of stuff. And Jerry would direct. And Taz Goldstein, who hired me, was the lead editor. He and I would edit everything together. 
Um, and I ended up spending three, I think, better part of three years with National Banana. Wow. Um, and just got to watch Jerry work. And I learned how to cut comedy. That's how kind of I got into doing Learning comedy from stuff. somebody that made some pretty iconic stuff is not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry was, you know, I think we learned a lot. Because what ended up, ha- the reason I say I spent the better part of three years there, what happened was funnier. Die came along and killed Every all the web comedy stuff. All yeah. of a sudden, everybody was like, "Is Will Ferrell and Adam McKay doing the, the Funny or Die?" Yep. They, they had that little video of Will Ferrell talking to his daughter. Yeah. Ferrell became the a landlord. hit. I, and we wished we would have made something so <laughs> you know such a big web hit, uh, but we never did. We made some stuff that was like you know got some hits and it was funny, but just not of that level. And then Funny or Die killed the game, and Jerry yeah. was like, "Okay, I'm going to go back to making you know blockbuster movies and producing <laughs> that stuff." <laughs> I'm going to take Bye my buildings and uh, see everyone later. Yeah, Did he yeah. just literally physically turn off a light and walk out on you guys? Like, um, Pretty I'm in here. much. Uh, I mean, it's like taking a shit J- in a public bathroom. And Jerry? In there. <laughs> Pretty J- much. J- Jerry? <laughs> I'll never yeah. forget the, uh, we, there was a tech scout back when I used to run the Herald Examiner. And they, they you know, tech scouts, sometimes they just, they just kind of bowl their way through stuff and don't think. And they went into the men's bathroom because they were shooting in there. And they were doing all the tech scouting and stuff. And then as soon as they were done, when we walked out, all of a sudden I hear, like a guy was like hiding in there, like going, "Please get out of here." Yeah, I'm trying to please, shit. Please, please oh, mind. <laughs> please, awkward, fifteen people. The awkward doing... moment where you wait for everybody to leave to make a noise. Oh, God, I fucking hate that. Could you imagine just being in there and like all of a sudden, like everyone's in there going, "Let's talk about making a movie." Be like, "Okay, all right." Part of me would want to just fucking fart real loud, so they go, "Let's talk outside about making a movie." So anyway, so this happens to you. And, yes. And well, I don't well. know. I wouldn't say that it happened to me, Jerry. I <laughs> so was... Jerry Bruckheimer goes and lives his life. This yeah. happens so to you. Jerry yeah. happens to you. Jerry happens to me, uh, and then he he goes off and he. I think they may. He ended up leaving to do. The Valerie Plame movie with uh, Doug Lyman directed it. It was a uh, fair game with Sean Penn and oh, wow. Naomi Watts. So like he had was stuff he, that was. Was like, he a nice guy? Jerry? Yeah, I love Jerry. Yeah, yeah okay. I had a great working That's relationship nice. with yeah. Jerry. Uh, actually, after the company folded, he invited me. They invited me over to their house for Christmas, and it was a really funny, awkward exchange. I think it was. I was. I happened to be one of the last people at the office at work. I was editing something, and Janet, his wife, was walking through. And Jerry was in my office, and she just kind of barged in and started talking about the Christmas party that night. And then saw that I was there and was like, John Michael, you're coming, right? And I was like, oh. yeah, Ah, you were invited by accident. Yeah, this <laughs> is like the movie The Party with Peter Sellers. Did you wreck the house? Oh, yeah. Well, it gets better because I show up to the party that night, and it's like a, it's like a secret Santa. Everybody's giving gifts. You don't have a gift. Oh, no. And so they, they hand me, Jerry hands me a gift, and it literally looks like a cardigan that Janet pulled out of Jerry's closet oh, no. and handed me. So what did you give away? Like, like your I hat had or something? Or? Was it a fucking sweater that was his? It, it was like, a legit Jerry Zucker sweater that I still have. <laughs> I was going to say, you got to keep that do. shit. That's yeah. awesome. Do you have Jerry Zucker sweater parties? It's got his <laughs> name on the tag. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was definitely not something. Like, I must have been in my mid to late 20s at the time, and it was definitely not something a 26-year-old guy would be wearing. But right. Uh, okay, can I ask you a question? Sure. <laughs> Were you the youngest person there? I was the youngest person there. So yes. Yes. There was a couple other people who were in my age range from the company that maybe in their 30s at the time. Okay. But I was the So was there the were other people that you had known at the company. You didn't go to a party where yes. it was all of his I knew I knew I thought you went to a party where it was his outside yeah, that would of be, that, that would company. That would be great. And no. you. No, there were there were there were quite a few people there that I knew from the okay. company. But which also doesn't make it you're like why did all these other people from the company <laughs> Yeah, how, <laughs> how, how am I the only one that didn't but it was get fine. the invite? I love Jerry. I had a really great time. I learned a lot from him and uh, that was actually being at National Banana was the point where I was like oh I can do this I see how to 
tell a story, how to make things that wow. look good, not, you know, reality TV is a whole different thing. It's like it's like documentary. You get a bunch of footage and it's like figuring out the story. Make, cutting it together to look like it's meaning something. Yeah, and by the way, some of those editors on those reality shows are some of the best editors working Dude, in town. Dude, that is a very good point because they're given nothing, oh. hours of nothing, boring garbage, talentless hacks, talking, it's fucking shit, and they make it something that like, Oh my God, you know how exciting the Kardashians are? They're not. They're adults. They're fucking boring, talentless pieces of trash. You fucking have editors that make them look good and story producers telling them what to do. Anyway, sorry. Yes. No, that's true. <laughs> I mean, more power to the editors, but. Yeah, no, they look, they, they, they make the. First of all, editing is such a fucking important part of, the, of what goes on. You, when they were trying to take it out of the Academy Awards, I was like, that is so insane to me yeah. that you're going to fucking take out editing. If you don't have a good editor, you've literally got useless nonsense. Yeah. Uh, doesn't mean, matter who's in it. It doesn't, doesn't matter, matter how many De Niro's or Pacino's you put in a movie. If somebody's not good at editing, you're going to have shit. Yeah. I mean, editing's where a movie's made mm -hmm. or broken, you know, um, 100%. And, the, and the, the beauty of that art form is that, or the, I guess the double-edged sword of that art form is that you don't see it. So, you know, if you're noticing editing, then it's bad. It's bad. Yeah. If you're not, then yeah, somebody's that's doing a very good job. point. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard more and more and more over the years that I've been in this business, and, it, and it's, it almost is a borderline throwaway line that people say, but it actually shows how much respect editors have, is they're always going to be like, don't worry about it, we'll fix it in post. Yeah, right. That's a classic. Like, essential. Very don't, don't worry about it, we can get this fixed in post. And it's just like, they, they literally just throw things at post going, oh, you're going to fix this, right? Oh, I, yeah. Because I said it out loud, it's going to get fixed in post. Because we can't go back and redo this. And 90% of the time, Now you fix, fix it. it. Right. No, when I started at Jerry Zucker's place, Taz Goldstein, who I said had hired me, his nickname was Doctor. They called him the Doctor. Give it because the doctor. literally, he would fix it. And post he sewed things together and made them whole. For sure. Yeah. And that, uh, that is the magic of editing. It's, it's pretty remarkable what you can do. If you look at, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark cut by somebody who didn't know how to cut, and then you looked at Raiders of the Lost Ark cut by, you know, was it Thelma? Whoever cut Raiders, I should know that. Um, but... Yeah. You will see the difference immediately. You will see a cohesive like art form versus just throwing footage together to make it, a story. It's a real, it's 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 a tedious way to make like poetry. Yeah, you, it, it's so it's so. I mean, I live next door to a guy who edited from home. Mm -hmm. He edited cooking shows. Okay, so I would just be sitting at my watching my TV, and I would just hear. And then you take the frying pan. 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 And then you take the... And I could do this for another 15 minutes and no shit. That's what it was like living next door to this guy. Oh, yeah. And I'm, it might be, I'd be at home sitting there going, let me guess. And then you take the frying pan? Yeah. Like, but you have to... To putting these pieces together, yeah. it's insanely tedious. Yeah, it's also... I mean, not to get too far into theory and craft, but like... It, it, there's a million different ways you can cut something. So, I mean, it can be overwhelming, but it's also like, it's like building a house with, you know, not only the materials you need, but like 15,000 other pieces of material that you have to figure out not to use. So it's like... It's, and how not to use them. Yeah. Or if they might play a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's like anything. It's like, it's like directing. You don't learn to direct unless you just direct. So... You just actually, funny that I said that, but Taz, bringing Taz Goldstein back, 
when I left, when Funnier, or not Funnier Die, when National Banana kind of folded, at that point I was like, I really want to do features. That's I know that that's what I want to do. I wasn't necessarily the comedy guy yet, or like, um, I just wanted to make stories and long form stories. And I said to Taz, the editor there, I said, I want to make features. How do I do it? And he gave me the best advice anybody ever gave me in the film industry. And it sounds so stupid, but it really helped me. And he was like, he kind of looked at me quizzically and was like, well, if you want to make movies, you just go make movies. Like, that's why are you here? Like, go, go edit a feature. And I kind of was like, oh yeah, just go pursue that doggedly if that's what you want to do. And I mean, at that point, obviously I was paying bills and I was doing everything I could to try to live your life. But at that, I think when I left there, I had the confidence to go like, okay, I, it's okay to pursue this. You you want this? Go do this. So I focused on on cutting features at that point, and I went back to Craig, Craigslist after Funny Funny or Die after the National Banana Jerry Zucker thing, and just started. I would go on Craigslist and look for any low budget feature film, being like, hey, I will cut this for nothing. I will be your editor. Let me experiment, and. I saw a po- this is going to be a funny story a, a weird this is one of the, this is like one of those little how moments. small this town is No it's one of oh. those moments where like I didn't realize <laughs> at the time how big of a moment this would be for me but like I was on Craigslist one day I saw a a post for a line producer somebody was looking for a line producer so I thought in my brain I was like well if they have they don't have a line producer then they don't have an editor right so I'll just write them and say hey, line producer, or person looking for line producer, if you ever do find the line producer, then you ever find the money to make your thing, <laughs> and you ever find yourself needing an editor, I'm an editor, you know, kind of thing. Through so it. you were going preemptive. You were like, hey, I know if you're still s- staffing up, Everything. you're going to need. Dude, I would send everywhere. I was, I was you, pretty, man. yeah, pretty crazy about it, just trying to find ways to, to get in. And about six months later, the director of that project wrote me back and said, hey, you wrote me this email. We got a line producer. We got the money. I'd love to meet with you. And I was like, holy shit, how does that happen? Six months later. So I go to meet her. Her name's Diane Bell. Uh, we have coffee. And then we hit, it, we hit just creatively hit it off. We start talking about the French New Wave stuff, as you do as a first-time director. A couple director. of dorks. <laughs> chatting it up. Yeah, pieces like, of the puzzle. Pieces of the puzzle. <laughs> start chatting about, you know, Godard and Truffaut and that stuff and then she's Scottish she's a big European cinema person and we just hit it off and she's like let's go make this movie and so we went and made that movie I think the budget on that was about 150k no name actors Uh, her friend was one of the actors a friend of a friend was the other lead actor is about two a couple going out into the desert and they kind of have this budding romance that doesn't quite go all the way romantic but just kind of tiptoes around that line um and we ended up making that movie and submitted it to Sundance, and it got into Sundance. It's like the first movie I ever cut. So you, <laughs> six month ad gets answered on Craigslist. You cut a movie. Yeah. Yeah, but you don't know. You know until you start just putting it out there, and the, you. I mean, it could have been the exact opposite story. It could have been a train wreck from the beginning, middle to end, a movie that you don't want anybody to ever see that you cut, and it's, yeah. it could have. It could have just as easily had gone that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. And honestly, when we delivered it to Sundance, I was like, well, we'll never get into Sundance, but that's okay. We'll find somebody who wants to watch this movie. And lo and behold, it got into Sundance. I mean, Do you think, you said you hit it off with this woman creatively right mm-hmm. away, and did you work closely with her throughout the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. That Do you think that was part of it? Just like, even if it didn't, without Sundance or whatever, but it's still being a positive first experience editing a feature. You got someone who's not a piece of shit coming in looking over your shoulder and fucking hounding you and yeah no i mean i think i think 
and I learned a lot from Diane. We ended up doing three movies together. Um, but yeah, Diane is like a very Zen creative. She was a yoga teacher. So she comes like at it, it from a very non-aggressive standpoint to begin with. Her stories are very slow cinema, kind of European slow, like Michael Hanukkah, that kind of stuff. Um, and so she just kind of let me do my thing and trusted me. I don't know why. Yeah, you're like, I have I've no, never done this before. <laughs> I have no idea why, but we just got along really well. I mean, French I'm a, New Wave, kid. French, yeah. French New Wave. You're probably the only guy who could talk French New Wave with right, her. Right, right. No, but yeah, and and that that was like, I mean, I'm sure you guys have done this before, but... Uh, Drugs? Yes. Okay. That was a lot of drugs. No. It was like a family. It was like we were all in... Fi- that was my film school, to be honest. That was the first time I felt like, oh, I'm learning how to make movies, because my film school never thrust us into a situation where it felt like that. Trial and by so, fire. Trial by fire. So, yeah, I was on board from the beginning. I was there for production. We shot a couple days at my house at the time in my garage just to get some scenes. It was like that kind of thing. And it, we all were kind of figuring out how to make movies together. And then, lo and behold, it ends up in competition at Sundance. Not only in competition, it won Best Cinematography and it won the Alfred P. Sloan Prize and then ended up getting nominated for two Spirit Awards. Jesus so Christ, all, dude. All this, yeah, and I'm, I'm like... How did this happen? We just made a little movie that, you know, I'm really proud of, but I'm very surprised that that movie resonated um, as much as it did. But you know what it had going for it? That This was 2009, so it was a little bit ahead of the curve. We had an environmental bent. So we were talking about some environmentalism kind of stuff that now everybody's talking about. Sure. But, but Diane still, was like so ahead of the curve on that stuff. Even okay. with that, look, if you, you don't still gotta edit make a good it well. Piece of work, though. Sure, sure. If you don't edit it well. Yeah. To fucking people watching it aren't going to go, oh, yeah, this is... Yeah, yeah. Do you I know mean, what I mean? Like, there's, totally. again, no-name actors, and they could have been great. They yeah. could have been awesome. They could have delivered every line perfectly and, and gotten all the emotion right and all that. And, and it could have looked great. Cinematography could have looked great. But, like, again, editing helps with the cinematography. For sure. Like, yeah. it should be, like, the cinematographers should thank the editors, too, because... Yeah. Well, you sit and the line cinematographer up all those did shots. not thank me on that show. I remember having a run-in with the cinematographer, and it, uh, the, who we're now friends, and I love Zach. Zach Mulligan, who shot it, and did it. He won. We won best cinematography. Yeah. At Sundance, we we watch. You know, as you do when you put together a movie, you do a first kind of screening with crew, cast and crew just to get feedback. And Zach saw the cut, and he was mortified, and he was like, "You can't cut from a 17 millimeter lens to a." to whatever, a 45-millimeter lens, like, blah, blah, blah. I was kind of, and I was, this is my first movie, so I was like, shit, maybe there's some rules I don't know about editing. I never thought about lens length and editorial. and I'd know. never even heard anyone say that. Well, and then we get into Sundance, and I was hanging out with Zach at Sundance, and we won Best Cinematography, and he was like, edit was great. It was great. And he so did you didn't it. make changes? Because <laughs> no. I, I didn't oh even know God. how to make changes. Yeah, you're like, <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I didn't even know what, uh, I was like, okay. Oh, that's um, awesome. But no, but like I think Zach, that was one of Zach's first movies too. We were all just learning how to make movies. And he and was just fucking wanting yeah, it to be good. Yeah, and I'm good. sure Zach at the time was just like, he wasn't trying to be combative or he was trying to be helpful and say, here's, we need to look at these things. I think at the time I just wasn't equipped with the language or the to do that. But do Ava, that. as a uh, failed avant-garde uh, filmmaker, <laughs> filmmaker viewer, um, I will say though that He's wrong in the respects of you cannot, unless you unless your plan out of the box. Like some people are very detail oriented, so they they shot by shot before they ever make their movie, and this is the movie we're making. This is exactly how it's going to look. Yeah, but then there's that other part of it, as you know. It's like no, there shouldn't be any convention because you may find a different. Like you talked about this earlier. Yeah. You sometimes you learn how to tell a story another way because there are 
thousands of ways to tell a story. Certainly. So to box it in like that, and again, it goes back to what he realized in the end was he had a very set way, but in the end, you realize, oh, my set way was not necessarily the right way. Yeah, that's For true. This. Yeah, and it's yeah. so easy to get myopic when you're making a movie, mm-hmm. and, and you know, I Let- can't tell you how many movies I've done now where I I finish the movie, I'm like, this is gonna be huge. People are gonna love it, and they see it, and it does okay. And then the movie where I'm like, yeah, it's okay, ends up being the one that resonates. Like you can't really, you can't I mean, predict. It's that art. Art, art is subjective. Art is so you have subjective. no fucking idea who's gonna relate to what thing. Yeah. You could tell the same joke a thousand times, people would react differently every yeah. single time. It's yeah, I think the thing that you just all you have to, you, you the only thing you can control is just doing things well. Yeah, like, yeah. I think to, if, to your to your standards, yeah, how just, you think it should be. Yeah, I'm and also have, be prepared to move on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Be prepared to go. We're done. It's over. Nobody liked it. No. Or they did like it. And guess what? Six months from now, they've all moved on in their lives. You better have. You better already be prepared. I learned that from Sundance. When that's going to ask you about what what did Sundance Sundance do for you? Because usually when when they do well, it can help you get into other people's social circles. But it's still your work. You still have to work on getting and maintaining those relationships. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I thought the minute I got the Sundance phone call, I was like, my career is here. Yeah, that was good. Thank God. You thought Lucas they, is going to call you, you up thought they were going to make Star you Wars. offers, right? <laughs> yeah, like offers just, were going to come Hi, in. this is Sundance. We yeah. want to offer you. This is not and how you it spend works. a week in the mountains with the snow and everybody's drinking and Partying having a good time. And all. It's, just, it's just a giant dick suck uh, festival. Like, you made a great movie. Yeah. Oh, your movies are great. Yeah, and then you drive, at the um, for me, because I couldn't afford a plane ticket, <laughs> I drove back to Park City in my little Honda and I was like, I got back to L.A. and it was like crickets. Crickets. What do I do now? Guy, John Michael Powell was just at Sundance. I don't know if everyone remembers me. Nothing. Yeah, you know that movie was in competition, uh, cinematography awards, Sloan Prize, ended up in two Independent Spirit Awards, and it certainly got my foot into independent features. Like that definitely became my trajectory. But it wasn't like I got a manager and I got agents and people were going to bat for me. No, dude. I I was I went back and I didn't started calling all my friends, being like, "Are you doing anything? Yeah, I need to make a movie. I need to do stuff." And just I I I just kept making movies. I will say I met a couple producers at Sundance who were doing indie stuff that were at the same kind of batting at the same level I was. Just kind of rode the wave and made a bunch of low budget indie movies. But over the course of the next three or four movies, I just really learned how to make features. I knew, if I go back and watch Obsolidia, which was the movie that was at Sundance, I guess I should have said that, was the, movie, <laughs> the first movie, it's called Obsolidia, and it was at Sundance. If I go back and watch that edit, I'm, I'm not mortified, but I certainly... But you're not that be, editor anymore. Dude, I would, yeah, you realize that, that a 17 lens does not go with... Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, now I, Zach knew exactly what he was yeah. talking about. It, it's, it's you going back to watch your first stand-up set, yeah. or your first... You're just like, what in the fuck was I doing here? Dude, like, yeah. what is this? Can I ask you a question? Yeah, do, yeah. You, do, you be, do you think you have a style... Oh, yeah. uh, is yours okay? So I so you you I don't do, okay. You're I not an in the years. moment guy, but you do have a style. I now. do have a style. It took okay, years, and I I think now, and I'm sure it's similar to your stand up. It's ingrained, so I don't have to think about it as much. You as know I who to. you are. You have you found your voice. I have yeah, and I have instincts. So like when I'm working with footage, like it just, you know, editing is very musical to begin with. That's probably why I gravitated towards like working in Abbott is like playing a piano in mm-hmm. a weird way. I was gonna say earlier, like for anyone who doesn't understand, like. Teaching yourself how to edit on an Avid, it's not an easy process. It's not even 
It's not simple. It is like as technical as learning yeah. to play the guitar on your own or learning to play the piano by yourself. Which I did as well. I taught myself to play guitar. So maybe there's Get out. So there's I'm already done. something in there. Yeah. Something. You can't have this many skills. Please leave. <laughs> yeah, this you've is, already this... got like maybe like an extra yeah, part of your out. brain that nobody uh, else well, has. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. Did you ever see the Amadeus movie? The yeah. King my God. Salier? I always like joke that I'm like the king of mediocrity. I'm like really mediocre at a bunch of different things what i think of is mediocre but i i wish i was just an exceptional i wish i was you know eddie vetter or whatever just like but i'm eddie vetter eddie vetter yeah <laughs> oh <laughs> thank you everybody i'll be at home good night but uh but yeah no but i do think uh over the course of i mean i've been doing this now 15 years i definitely started to hone like a, a creative like voice and it's starting so, to like really flourish i think and so when people when you meet people mm-hmm. that matters to you right like you're going to are do you kind of feel like at this point at 15 years in you're also in charge of your own d- destiny in respects to like you won't just are you are do you have to kind of be on board with whatever that vision is so you know that you're it's not going to be frustrating to you yeah i mean now as an editor i pick and choose things very differently than I did obviously 15 years ago I was like give me anything I can right, right. now I tend to gravitate towards vision like I really like directors who have vision and like you know first time directors that's hard to see um, but even if it's like they send you some images and they're like this is what this is this is the stuff I'm trying to achieve and if I read the script and I'm like okay this has potential then I'll jump on board and and get in the mud and go make things um but you know, generally, first-time directors, second-time directors, they don't have vision. They're still trying to hone their vision. That's something that you you kind of already have a little bit, and then it's a blade that you sharpen. Um, but generally, now when I'm picking things, it's because I want to work with the director um, or the cinematographer, the production designer. It's something that like excites me creatively, that feels different than things I've done before. Okay. Um, I do get. I mean, I get. I mean, I don't get tons of offers, but I get offered quite a bit of like low, like in the what I would call like the two hundred thousand to five hundred thousand dollar run and gun low budget feature, and I'll do those, um, you know, if I'm really excited about the script. <clears throat> but generally now, I don't. I only do those if those are my friends, and I really want to get in the mud with them and yeah. really blood, sweat, and tears kind of thing because those those are hard. They're hard movies, and I mean, th- on the high end now, I'm doing like it's not like I'm doing you know, uh, Fincher's new movie or anything like that. But like, I just finished season three of Dear White People, which is a Netflix series that's very popular. popular. Yeah. So like at the top end of my work, it's like that kind of stuff. And then when I'm not doing Dear White People, I'll go do commercial work, which pays the bills. That's been nice. Um, and then, and then when I'm, I'll use the commercial work and the Dear White People to pay the bills. And then I will go write, develop my own stuff and then go edit my friends' features that are like, Hey, I'm making a feature for a hundred thousand dollars, and it's like, great, come over to my house, we'll go finish it and make okay. it. So that's kind of where I'm at now. But it took years to get there. And right. And you've when did you because you direct as well? Yeah, well, so about about f- 2014, 2013, 14, I wrote a script. Knowing so I always knew I wanted to write and direct. Like the, I knew that was always where I wanted to get. The reason I picked editing was originally because I thought, well, if I know how to edit a movie, then I know where all the secret sauce is hidden and I can I can reverse engineer the process, right? 
Yeah. Um, so that's why I got into editing. And in hindsight, that was the best choice I ever made in my life. I wish every director life. started as an editor. I mean, I tell my friends who want to be directors, I'm like, learn how to edit, dude. Just sit, even if you not, I'm not saying you have to know how to be proficient at it. No, no, no. But learn the process and learn how to take useless footage and make a, a make a thing. Because when you're directing, there's a there's a there's a difference. You can tell a director who's never edited, 100. And then you went, and then someone who's going to edit their own fucking thing, and you're like, yeah. oh, you know exactly where this is going. Yeah, 100. So like, I had done a few movies. They, the types of movies I was doing, like the Sundance dramas. Like I would make that like movie that would end up at Sundance or South by and hope to get a big sale. My movies never did. And then you'd always see another movie that year that would like blow up and become sure. Little Miss Sunshine or whatever, sure. right? Which is awesome. That's cool. And I was happy just to have a seat at the table to be able to make movies. I was like, as a kid from Little Rock, Arkansas, I was like, I can't believe I even get to make movies. So um, I was just happy doing that. But I always knew I wanted to write and direct and get into that. So around 2013, 14, I had written a script um, that was like a low, what I considered a low budget thriller um, that took place in Arkansas. I was like, okay, I'll write something in Arkansas. I can utilize Arkansas. I'll call in some favors, get some production value, go back to Arkansas and shoot it, thinking I'll do it like I did Obsolidia, like a $100,000 low budget, get my friends to be in it. So I wrote that script. Um, my buddy, who I went to college with in Texas, actually, uh, who happened to be out here, was now kind of making his way up the rungs of the management ladder. He was oh. becoming a manager. So I handed him the script, and he read it, and he was like, oh, this is really good. I want to hand it to the head of our management company, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, they read the script, and like, we want to manage you as a writer. So then I got lit reps. Interesting, um, yeah. Yeah, which was a whole different thing. And uh, suddenly, that script got passed to CAA, and then I was repped at CAA as a writer, and I was like, this is weird, because <laughs> I wrote one script, and I've been editing movies for nobody wanted to rep me as an editor. For but everyone years. wants me as a writer. I've written yeah. one thing. But then you get... You get a little bit drunk on the sauce a little bit. You go because here's the thing about Hollywood in general is like especially transplant Hollywood people like we all are. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. You come to Hollywood with expectations. You realize, oh, oh, wait, this is way, way fucking harder than I thought. <laughs> then you struggle for a long time. And, and if you ever get that moment where like Sundance, like it was the same chemical, like, oh, now I've got it. Yep. I've. It was the same thing with the writing. It was like, I'm repped at CAA as a writer. Great. This is going to be easy. And then life punched me in the face and was like, nobody's going to read your scripts, dude. Nobody yeah. gives a shit if CAA is sending the script. Or, you know, yeah. yeah. So that's what happened. I got really excited about that. The script got sent around to 100 different people in Hollywood. You know, uh, I ended up getting like 10 or so meetings out of it. One of those meetings ended up being a producer who I, I met with who loved the script and was like, I love the script. I'm not going to make this movie, which is what everybody said. Um, love the script, not going to make it. Um, fun. But, yeah, fun. Yeah, you're like, why am I doing it? It's like, a, it's like, you know, walking into a ring to box Mike Tyson and, like, just doing it over and over and getting pummeled. <laughs> like, why am I doing this? Um, but a, a few months later, I, I guess I have this chemical in my brain where I don't let things go and I just keep going at the thing I want. And I wrote that producer back, and I was like, look, I know you... You liked this script. You didn't want to make it. Maybe we'll write something else that you do want to make. I'll write it. We'll go make it. So then we ended up fostering a relationship, started developing something together. And about three or four months into development of that, he goes, you know, that other script you wrote that we met for is really fucking good. Let's go make that. And just totally decided, like, <laughs> yeah, life puzzles, the puzzle pieces Crazy. coming together. And so, so then we ended up going out with that. And for the better part of three, this was 2014, 15, 16-ish, we spent three years putting the movie together while I was editing on the side. So I would edit 
feature films and then putting together this movie as a writer director. They take forever to make. Oh my that's, god, that's what you were learning. Oh my <laughs> god, everything takes. You wanna, I mean, you already knew that, but now this is your project. And oh you're... my god, yeah, I have a whole newfound respect now for direct, especially as an editor. You walk in and all the footage is shot. Although <laughs> you don't think about the development hell that it went through for years and. Um, yeah, and, and this story gets more, you know, slapped. Just in the get to face. the part where Jerry Zucker shows up. Come on, hurry <laughs> yeah, up. I wish that happened, but it didn't. Asking happen. for a sweater back. We put all the right, whole so. movie together. Better course of three years. We end up getting the money, getting all the actors, putting it together. We're about six weeks from production in 2017, 2017. Uh, November and six weeks before production, the lead actor is like, yo, I'm going to take off and go do something else after being committed for like a full year. And after we pushed production twice for him to do other movies. Cool. So we were set up. We had money. We were ready to go. All the actors were ready to go. And six weeks before, like, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a writer director. It all fell apart. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? So the card, the house of cards falls apart. Um, and I basically at this point I had spent, like I said, three years of my life doing rewrites for people, polishing, trying, getting, attempting trying, to get pro- this thing made, getting producers excited, getting actors excited. And this, by the way, is independent, which means you're not collecting a paycheck during this. Time. Oh, dude, I made no money on three years of anguish no. of just like going out there and getting beaten up and then just getting enough of the pie to go. I'm going to do this. It's going to yeah. happen. Holy yep. shit, it's going to happen. Keep you hanging on. Yeah. And, you know, and the actors who I ended up casting, I was punching way above my weight cl- class. So it was like, whoa, like this has potential. It was a bigger movie than I had edited. And I was like, how is this happening? I'm going to direct a movie that's like feels like it has an opportunity to resonate, which is what you want for anything. And then the rug got pulled out and it all, you know, was taken out from under me. And I was like depressed and just like, this is pointless. I mean, thankfully, I had built up an editing career over the course of the 15 years. And so I had that to fall back on. So I was like continuing to edit features. And in that time, I just started writing the next project. And I was like, I'm just going to leave this other project. I can't think about it anymore. Well, that's, you just kept moving forward, though. Just that's good. Just kept making things. And... In that time, I was like, I'm going to go make shorts because I wasn't the director in film school. I wasn't making shorts in film school. I'm going to go back, reverse engineer, you know, my kind of directing career. So I started doing just little shorts with my friends. I had, thankfully, at this point, amassed a bunch of friends who were really talented. They had been working in indie films for a long time, so I could call in favors. You know, I could get the good DP who had a a budding career. It wasn't like my friend from USC or et cetera. I mean, I didn't even go to USC, so I didn't even have friends (laughs) who went to USC. But I don't uh, have friends. I was just thinking (laughs) about that, you guys. I don't have friends. But, uh, yeah, so I started just, like, kind of creatively putting together teams of friends that I wanted to work with as a writer-director. And then, um, yeah, and then last year I wrote another script. um, And this makes it sound like I wrote two scripts that, like, resonated. I wrote a ton of scripts that nobody read. Right. That were just, like, losing. And, like, people would be like, why? This is not good. Put this away. But But those scripts lead you to writing something worthwhile. Right. And then after the project that I had set up, it was called The Killing Kind. After The Killing Kind fell apart, um, I went and wrote this new script that was a totally, it was like, it was like, if you put Blood Simple next to The Big Lebowski, they like, couldn't be further apart. Wow. But they both had whatever kind of weird tone that joined them both together. But I was like, I'm going to do something that's not a thriller. I'm going to do like something else. So I wrote this script. It's called True Folk. Um, I actually wrote it. I had a buddy. Uh, his name's Ryan Stone. Um, 
I said past tense, had a buddy. I still have a buddy. <laughs> uh, he's still with us. But Ryan. Congrats, uh, Ryan. Congrats, Ryan. Way to hang in there, kid. Way to be alive, dude. <laughs> um, he actually lives around the corner from you guys. Oh. He's not too far. He's in the hood. But Ryan, I met Ryan through friends. Uh, I was at a house party, and he was sitting in the background at this house party playing guitar. And I was like, nobody was paying attention to him. And he was just singing, playing the guitar like this weirdo. And I was like, why is nobody paying attention to the guy in the background who is like an amazing musician? I was like, this guy is ridiculously talented. And he's just sitting there being ignored and never thought anything of it. I, I went online, started watching some of his, he would like sit at his apartment and record videos and throw them on Facebook. And I would get enamored with the song and listen to it. And a few months later, my buddy Zach, who's an actor, was in an indie movie that was at a festival. He's like, come out and see the movie. And so you do, you go to the festival, support your friends. And I was walking in and he was like, hey, I got my buddy Ryan Stone a part in this movie. And he steals the fucking show. And I was like, no way. The, the music guy who was at the back of the party, I was like, that's crazy. I didn't know he's an actor. Walk into the movie. I see the movie. I'm like, this guy's a better actor than he is a musician. Like, he's unbelievably interesting. Like, and he was just a bit part in the movie, but I was like, he's the most interesting thing in the movie. Not, not you know, no offense to my friends. No, but you're, amazing. yeah. And so I, I thought in the back of my mind after The Killing Kind fell apart, I was like, I'm going to write a movie for him. I'm going to write a movie. It's going to be a music movie because I know music. I'm a musician myself, and I'm going to write a movie that's for Ryan. Did that, wrote, wrote this script, and uh, gave it to the producer of The Killing Kind, and he was like, whoa, this is really good. I'm going to give it, I'm gonna give it to someone. Uh, is that cool? Now, I'd gone through the process before knowing how f- hard it is, and <laughs> I, I intended on The Killing Kind to make something low-budget myself with my friends, and it ended up down this path of CAA studios, like, got nowhere, right? And so I was a little hesitant. I was like... I don't know. I think I just want to go make this one. But I was like, okay. So he sent it to Sony. Sony read the script. And now I'm currently back where I'm at, where I was at with The Killing Kind. So Sony read the script and was like, we love it. We want to finance it. So they're financing the movie. And we're out casting the lead role that's going to be opposite Ryan Stone. Now, the difference this time around is with The Killing Kind, I went out and begged everybody to give us money to make the movie. And everybody... The whole scenario was, yeah, we'll give you money if you cast the lead actor, right? I'm sure you guys have heard yeah, that yeah, scenario. Yeah, it's yeah. like potato. That pretty much starts there. Right, yeah. it starts there. Go cast mm. an actor. We'll give you the money. I did that with The Killing Kind. It took three years, right, to get the lead actor to say yes. Finally got the money. On this one, it's, it's like the opposite. They were like, we'll give you the money. You just have to cast one of these 20 people. So they gave me a list of 20 people that we're currently going out to like right now. And so that's like, long story short, where my writing directing career is at and how it kind of, it kind of came out of editing and filmmaking and has kind of led me to, you know, writing directing. I think in the future, it's gonna be full. I'd like to be in a place where I'm writing, directing, and then also editing my friends' movies. So I have a question for you, and this is gonna come off more negative than I mean it to be. Please. But not once in there did you say that CAA hooked me up with this whole thing. Yes. <laughs> because they didn't. Because they didn't. No, no. no. And, and here's why I'm bringing that up. Yeah. Because it goes back to something you talked about earlier. I think that everybody thinks I got an agent and I got a manager now. Now let me just sit on my hands and just sit back and wait for them to do all this amazing work for me. And everything's going to work out. Not realizing that whether you have that rep, those reps or not, it's still on you. Every single day, whatever you get is still going to be on you. And that's not dismissing the agents or managers. I don't want to go down that path. It's that's not, not what I'm talking but about. Also what I'm talking about is mindset. Yeah. And what are you doing in respect to your career and your goals? Because you can't sit back and think, 
that someone is spending every waking hour of their life worried about you and your career. Yeah, you'll get nowhere doing that. I no. mean, I learned that the hard way, obviously. I think we all do. We all yeah. kind of sit back and go, oh, I'm here. Why isn't no one fucking calling oh, me? Yeah, and then you're like, oh, because they don't care or don't know. Yeah, I mean, really. And I think even when you shoot your film, nobody's going to be Nobody's gonna care as much. Your, your crew, the process never, yeah. stops. never stops. The process, like <laughs> all these great things that are happening with Sony, there's still another level that you have yet to have to deal. Another hurdle. Totally. There's just, it just, it's just, they just keep moving the bar. Totally. Throughout totally. the whole process. Yeah. And hopefully, when your film is done, and it gets out there, at that point, somewhere in the universe, they decide, yeah, we're into this shit. Right. Right. That's like that still that unknown factor. I mean, you could market the shit out of your film and people get like, eh, now nah, I'm good. Or you could never run a commercial for it and everyone goes, dude, this is the best thing I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, you the just time. don't know. Yeah, it's like it, the, that bar goes all the way to the end. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 I mean, it's true to an extent, but like you get back what you put in to your career. I mean, it, it's going to be yes. on you and it's going to be, you know, the agents and the managers are good sounding boards they're good people to like have in your you know court, they'll, they'll close for you when they'll they have close, to. that's the thing yeah. you, but you have like they're not gonna get you initially motivated yeah you have to do shit and show them that you work and that you're capable yeah before they'll even attempt to help you yeah i heard some i can't remember who the screenwriter was it was a working screenwriter who said like the way he manages his relationship with his agents is every month he'll check in at the end of the month and he'll He'll have a checklist of all the things he did that month to progress. Like, oh, I wrote this treatment. I wrote this script. I sent it to, what did you do? And so he benchmarks, like, if you did less work than I did, then that's a problem. Like, we got to keep keep trying to get the manager to, to work as hard as I'm working. Now, he's a working screenwriter. I never had that relationship. I would call my manager and be like, what did you do? And they're like, yeah, yeah, go away. Go away. Call me. Call <laughs> you're me like, like you know what? That Fair call. enough. Yeah. Fair enough. My yeah. bad. I didn't yeah. even mean to call you. I'm yeah, so sorry. I misdialed. No, sorry. no, no. Yeah, no. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it's it's tough. And in the look, I've been on a, on the other side, too, as an editor. I've watched the back half of when, when movies do come out, like, you know, I had a film that, that I edited that was at South by a few years back that I still think is one of the best movies that I ever got to be a part of. I think it's an amazing movie. The director is so talented. His name's Michael Johnson, Michael James Johnson. And the movie had Cody Smith-McPhee, Virginia Madsen, and Danny DeVito. You're like, okay, it's decent cast, people, actors, and it's a great movie. And it just kind of went Nothing. out there. Nothing happened. I mean, it went to South by. It got good reviews. Um, and to this day, I'm like, how is it that, like, Something so good could just not get any noise, and then you'll see Chipmunks too. Yeah, you'll see Chipmunks too, which my friend cut. But um, <laughs> but I'm yeah. sure your friend isn't going not here. Is but art. that's a my different part is, of the business. And it is. and here, yeah. here's the thing, and we've joked about this in previous shows as well. You know, when I became obsessed with with old bad movies and just. Yeah. Because of Amazon Prime, sure, more so than even Netflix, it's just it, it's just it, they've obviously just grabbed whatever was made in like from the 1950s all the way through the 1990s, and you really if once you start going down that rabbit hole of yeah. filmmaking, you constantly have to ask your question yourself that question like, how the fuck does any movie ever get seen? Oh, dude, I mean we and the platforms we have now compared to back then, 10, 15 years ago, I mean. 
You would have never seen any of those movies. And I, I think you will also simultaneously lose your mind if you stay focused on that part of it. I think you have to go in blind every single time and hope yeah. that one of these times the dice rolls your way and pop, you get into this other stream. Yeah. Of yeah, fish yeah. To swim with. Yeah, and I've got I've had friends that have had that. I've had friends I've seen friends have that pop where you're like, I've got a buddy right now who uh who just shot this movie Hustlers with J-Lo that's yeah. getting all this. It's already got, like, it's the highest grossing J-Lo movie of all time. And yeah, Todd Van Hazel shot it, who's a friend of mine. And um, he also shot this other movie, uh, Blow the Man Down, which was at Toronto, that's getting, like, big indie buzz. And it's like, all of a sudden, he has two movies out of nowhere that just pop, and, like, he's everywhere. And right. he's all over the place. And, I mean, I think the trick... I, I'm sure people have said it on your show before. I'm sure you guys know it. It's just like, don't stop. Like, you, if the minute you walk away, it's done. So, like, if you just keep pushing and keep grinding and keep, you know, ultimately the job is just do good work. So, like, whether or not it gets seen, uh, you just got to keep doing good work. It's helping if, you for the next thing anyway. Yeah, and I do think if you make enough noise, eventually somebody's going to hear you. You, you got to keep knocking on doors. Yeah. At some point, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're afraid to knock on the door... Oh, yeah. You're screwed you're because, done. you know, you don't know what the answer is on the other side until you knock on it. I mean, that's it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. You don't know anything until you ask. Yeah. And look, you still may fail. This is what I always say to people. It's like, you still may fail. And I'm this is I'm a career failure, so I know. You may still fail <laughs> um, at it, but you have to at least at the end of the day ask yourself, you know, and, did I put my best effort forward? Sure. And if I'm, if I'm ready to step out... Can I step out and be okay with it? So yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm, you know, pretty much dialed in on that part of it. And but and each and each project you do, whether it's from an actor, director, however, each project, it's not, it might not be the best thing, but it gets, it moves you towards the next thing. So, the, I agree. The the you always want to stay as busy as you can, doing the things that you want to do, doing the things that you want to grow, make you grow as an artist and help you. Yeah, I mean, again, mm. I think you said this too. If you're not happy. Then why are you doing it? And and that's that thing you were kind of talking about too. It's like, I I had to. I'm a hack editor. Like I had to teach right. self taught um, on final uh, final cut, yeah. and then eventually with Adobe Premiere. And it's just like, I did that, and so did uh, one of my uh, um, partners did it as well because we just realized that you can only rely on editors so much too because a lot of these guys they're they don't want to be doing what they're doing. Right, totally. like, because a lot of the stuff they're getting is very little money, and it's junk. And John talking about guys leaning, breathing over your shoulder nonstop for no money. Like, I even get that pro part of the process. So you kind of want you have to, you also have to work your way into a place where you can, where you can happily say yes to that and happily say no to that. I know guys, um, or that that uh, I've known for years that were were editors on a lot of stuff, and it was mostly reality based, and they both quit. Yeah. Because they were like, fuck, I'm not doing this shit anymore. They kept calling it soul crushing for them. Yeah. And they made a conscious choice. But I'm, if, I don't, if I don't work anymore, I just don't care. Because I, yeah. just, I just don't want to do it anymore. And again, I don't watch reality stuff. That's my own personal opinion. But for some people, they find, they find the work that they do soul crushing. And they want out because they don't want to be bitter. Yeah, I don't know any. I mean, I have friends. I have friends like the uh, other editor on Dear White People with me this past season. He'll dip. He'll do a TV series like Dear White People, and then dip back into a reality show just for cash because it pays well. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not speaking this to Brian because I don't know if Brian feels this way, but I have other friends who work in reality as editors, and I don't know a single person who's an editor who who really loves it. 
I mean, they pay well, uh, and it's once you get to a certain level, it's pretty simple. It's just mechanical, you know. Yeah. Um, it's like okay, the boom sound effect goes here, and the lady with the jaw dropped on the floor. You shot, you know, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, very of, formulaic. It's very formulaic. I'm not saying movies aren't formulaic either. Right, they right. are. I mean, um, you have a structure and a formula, but um, yeah, I mean, if you're in a creative field and you, you're feeling more often than not, you're not liking it, then you need to walk away. Because it's not going to get any no. better. Or no, and I don't think if you have that attitude, it's going to get better. I mean, that's no, what I'm that, your yeah, perspective you, is You can't. Just, yeah, yeah. You're never going to You're never going to achieve the things you think you got into the business to achieve with you that you got to fall in love no with way. the details because the details are where you're going to get most of your validation day to day. You're not going to get the call from Sundance to say, hey, great job. You're the best moment. You're not going to get those calls. <laughs> right. Like, you got to rely on like, oh... I put together this scene and it's awesome and my wife likes it yep. and that's cool. And like everyone I, I show my friends like it and everyone's in it thinks it looks good and Yeah, it's like it's those small victories day to day that you got to get your pleasure out of because that's 99% of the, where you're going to be. Yeah. Um you just got to love it. That is a very good point. Yeah. Um and I just want to mention briefly that I met you through a guy who we were talking about garbage on another uh show. But I met there was a guy who had AD'd on that who got into more producing after that. We've remained in contact and friendly. <clears throat> and then he showed John a clip of something he had done that I happened to be in. Yeah. So he wasn't even showing me. He was showing a different guy, which yeah. I still want to fight him for. Um, and then he put, picked me out and was like, oh, let's see. And we just did a short film together that this is when I w- we were talking to Mindy Sterling mm-hmm. a couple weeks back. Um, we were talking about directors. And I said... I've been directed by a f- few people that were fucking completely useless. It's very, f- very rare, but just completely useless. And then by people who you're like, okay, yeah, he's directing me. And then you, who di- it Whoa. didn't feel like I was being directed at all. Oh, wow. And I felt like everything we did, you were there to be like, yeah, it was great. It was great. And I felt either you were, I was, you were really happy with it. I just, it was the... Uh, as an actor, it was the best um, experience I've had oh, making wow. anything. Wow, that's amazing. Um, and I, this goes for like, you know, I'm doing a web series and I'm not shitting on any other director because sure, I, I sure. love the guys I work yeah, with yeah. Um, on a regular basis. I'm just thinking like this just didn't feel like any kind of effort hmm. or any kind of work. And I felt like at the end of it, I was like, holy shit, I think we made something. And I, I, don't, I didn't see any real dailies. I didn't watch the footage. So... I don't know, but like I felt like it, we made something cool and really fun, just from it being as relaxed and being surrounded. And and then the other actors you had in that were fantastic as well. Yeah. They're, they're, everyone was solid. It just it just didn't feel like effort. Right. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. really just felt like, oh man, that was fucking easy. Holy shit! And I wow, and if and if every if I could <laughs> everything I made was like that, right. I, it would be. Well, that's the biggest compliment anybody, yeah, I mean, ever has given me. That makes me feel really, really happy, dude, that you felt that way. I oh, mean, dude, it was so I, fun. I definitely, I mean, I'm a laid back person to begin with. I'm yeah. not a yelling type of guy. <clears throat> um, I'm also, because I came from editing, I'm used to sitting around a computer and collaborating. So I come at it similarly as a director. I yeah. sit around and go, okay. Uh, that was great. What what do we want to do this time? And like, how can we how can we like do something different that's fun? And you know, obviously, we were we were making a short film that was a, a, a little kind of piece about a father and a son having a prank war that goes horribly wrong, out of control. Yeah. <laughs> it goes to a pretty dark place. 
So we were making a fun, I mean, it was all fun, um, you know, but I definitely, I've, I've gotten the benefit or had the benefit of sitting with directors for 15 years and watching the good ones do really good work and the bad ones do really bad work. Yeah. And you learn equally from both and you, you get to pick and choose what you're going to take with you. And, uh, and I definitely have a method for sure. Uh, I don't know where I got the method. I mean, I know partially where I got the method. I, I've, I have this strong belief that you, and I'm, I'm like you said, I'm not disparaging any other directors. There's a million ways to skin a cat and make a movie. My personal belief is that I don't like talking to directors as in a group. I like between takes making adjustments personally and going and, and having quiet conversations with the actors so that they're never felt like they're put on blast in front of the crew. Um, not that I'd ever put anybody on blast in no, particular. No, no. But, but I did, when, when I saw you doing like, because you did, you'll pull people aside, you talk to them. I also felt that was part of what what we were shooting? Yeah, the idea that throw throw somebody off a little bit, do something that isn't written right now, just to get a reaction. Well, so that's the benefit, isn't it? So like when you don't talk in a group, I can pull you aside and I can kind of allay you against the other actor in a way. I can go, okay, let's say we're doing a take where you know you're expecting a laugh, but this time I direct the the actor on this side. Don't give him a laugh. Literally hate him yeah, with get all ups- that you've get got. Upset. Get upset. And so with the, it, yeah. then he throws that at you. And as an actor, you're kind of put on your toes to go, okay, well. Well, and you have it, a very human reaction to that. You're like, right. oh, fuck, that didn't go over well. That's like, right. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it allows you, as much as you are playing a character, it allows you to, without breaking character, give legit human reactions to whatever it is happening because yeah. you didn't expect it or you weren't ready for it. Yeah. Or, and then I find when you get into the edit, you've got, you know, three or four different shades of yeah. something to like really paint a yeah. scene. And like one of the th- things that I hate as an editor is when I get dailies and I've got four takes and it's like four takes of the same read. Same thing. Yeah. And like, you know, if it's good, like I will say like on dear white people, for instance, that's a show that like it's third season. It knows exactly what it's doing. I will get five takes where it's five reads and all five reads are good. And then you, it's easy. It's just picking good takes. But you're kind of painted into a box, but that on a television series, you're running so fast. Yeah, you got turnarounds. You just don't have time. But on a movie, like a short film or a feature, I love being able to just kind of like, I call it painting and having shades from different performances, but just like, you know, having a collaborative, creative way of making the actor feel like, I guess I never really thought about it, but I try not to direct you. I try to just let you find... You know, I certainly nudge in certain ways. Yeah, you but you know what you want. And if 100%. and if it's not being done, you you have a way to to get that across without it being Yeah, and you know what I I think I've learned is I learned this from editing is like when you tell people what to do, right? That's a certain that's a different feeling than when you ask. So like if you instead of coming <laughs> yep. at direction by telling, if you come at it from an ask. So it's like, okay, did you think that I don't know, did you think that that fully got what we were getting at? Even the way you change that inflection changes the way an actor feels, or not even an actor, just a collaborator. I was going to say, it makes them feel like they're collaborating as whether uh, instead of being told, no, that was wrong, here's how you do it. Dude, 100%. The trick is getting... Make people think it's their idea. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's I, like every, any business, anytime you've ever had a boss, if you can make that, if you have a good idea, and that boss is a fucking dildo, not saying you're a dildo or anything. No, but I, like, I am. No. But like, if you can get that boss... <laughs> To think that your good idea is their good idea, that idea will get carried out because your boss thinks it's his idea. That's right. That's um, right. It's the Michael I, Scott. It's, it's fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, I that was certainly that's my my, uh, you know, hope and and I think 
because I'm an editor, I think that's one of the aspects of like that I bring as a as a director that most directors don't have. You yeah, know? yeah. And when you get in the shit, as you will on any production, like having that as a foundation, meaning calm, collaborative, making your actors feel comfortable, then when shit goes wrong, it's going to be a lot easier to pivot than if you're creating tension by saying, do this, do that. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, uh, and it feeds. I think on our short, we wrapped every day early, right? We wrapped early We were flying day. through stuff. I was actually terrified for a second. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because as an editor, you plan everything. And I know, I definitely plan every shot. I go, I can see, I know the edit before I walk on set. But even so, on ours, I was like, this is going a little too easy. I was even like, are they making sure? Are we missing parts of it? Like, I kept looking at the script. Yeah, and like, we had some, in, the third day, we did some intense, like, oneers where we were doing choreography with gunplay and some, like, choreography that I was even, like, even walking on a set, I was like, oh, God, I hope this works, you know, as you do. And then when we ended up wrapping, like, two hours early, I was like, did we get everything? And But, but your DP was fantastic. Yeah, I Auntie mean, Chang. That, that guy, yeah. yeah Auntie's he, amazing. Auntie did, uh, he's young. He's, like, in his late 20s, maybe. Jesus Christ. He's, he's done three features. They've all been at Sundance. Um, he's got one now in theaters right now. It's called Miss Purple. Oh, wow. Um, that's out. You can go see it at, like, Arclight and stuff that he shot. Um, he did that movie Gook. Which kind of like blew up at Sundance a few yeah, years back. Yeah. So Auntie's really talented. Yeah. yeah. But the um, whole crew, everybody was great. I mean, it was just it was literally it was like good. a uh, it was just like hanging out for a couple of days. It, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. We had John Ennis in the lead role. John Ennis is a fucking genius. I love he's that guy. A genius. Like working with a dude like that as an actor is the is the best possible scenario for me. Like a guy who I can look at who's literally, when I go, hey, you should do our podcast, he goes, yeah, I will. I never say no to anything. Yeah. I'm like, holy shit, dude. That's probably why you're standing next to me in the desert right now in a fucking 100-degree heat instead of, like, I don't know, taking a bath and some of your money or dude, whatever. He, <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Dude, I, so I saw John in a short that came out a few years ago called A Reasonable Request. Very funny short. You should go check it out. I think it was at Sundance South by, but just a scene with a father and a son sitting at a diner having a very irreverent conversation. That's what I will say. Um, <laughs> but I saw John in it, and I was like, this guy is unbelievably talented. Like, why is this guy not blowing up? And exactly. Being why isn't he a household name? And then when I wrote this short, I immediately thought about him, and I was like, I'm going to track that guy down. Somehow, I'm going to find that guy. So then I just went online, started Googling, trying to find emails, trying to find contacts. I went through like 30, not 30, I went through three or four different contacts that didn't write me back saying, I'm trying to find this guy, John Ennis, can you find him? Or I'd send an email to like a Facebook thing he used to have that yeah. he wouldn't respond to. Finally, I find a director, the director who directed this short. I found like a web page that had his email address, wrote him, and I was like, dude, I'm, I'm just throwing this email out there. Could you please find it in your heart to connect me with John Ennis. And he was, wrote back like 15 minutes later going, yeah, yeah, here's his email. Go email him. That was it. I was like, oh, wow, awesome. So then I emailed John. Because you asked. Because you asked. That's right. Again, this goes back to just going, 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 going. But I wrote John Ennis, sent him the script. Like 20 minutes later, John wrote back and goes, I'm going to do it. I love it, blah, blah, blah. So <laughs> I'm, maybe John just literally says yes to everything. Well, I think he took the time to read it. I, no, he definitely did. And he, he came back and was told me what he was excited about to do. And so then I knew, oh, he gets it. He, he's into it. And then when we got on set, like I'm, a lot of times when you direct, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't this way with, with you guys on this cast. I guess everybody just really got the script. But like a lot of times as a director, you're finding the first few takes like a rhythm to get your actors to where sure. you want to be. Yeah. On this, you guys were all like, I didn't even have to do that. And like, 
you guys got it. And so then we would immediately on take two get to just start playing. So it was all playing the yeah. whole time. And John was really good at that. John's got instincts that are crazy I mean, good. He's, to me, he's like he's like a Philip Seymour Hoffman of Dude, the comedy world. You know he, what I mean? One hundred percent. Somebody not saw, just not just looks like him. Yeah. But like he's an actor. He's oh. a fucking real legitimate actor. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. He's a Harvard theater guy. Dude, yeah, it's crazy. Like a, and working with guys like that, there's nothing better. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah. Because not only is he good, he's willing to share what he knows and not be a dick about it. And help everybody else out. Yeah. No, he's he's such a, a wonderful human being. But uh, we ended up using... You haven't seen the cut yet because I have you not. chose not I, to see Yeah, I'm, I was afraid. We, we know nothing to be afraid. I totally get that. But we've sh- shared the cut with a few people around town. And like I've gotten a few people who have been like, is this Philip Seymour Hoffman's like comedic cousin? Like A few people have been like pulled out the yeah. Philip Hoffman thing. But yeah. John has a vibe, and he's... He's strong, and I—I I mean, I think you're going to be really proud, dude. We've gotten some. Really I'm, I'm already happy with just the just experience, the you yeah. know what I mean, and feeling like we got something. Um, I am looking forward to seeing, and I just kind of wanted to watch it with everybody else. Yeah, no, that's fun too. Yeah. that's that's a really good way to see it. And also, when you get a link, you're like watching it on a laptop, and like, yeah. you know, you don't hear it the way it's meant to be heard, and yeah. that has a huge effect on an edit. And um, but yeah, but we did some great work, man. It was, it was fun. Yeah, no, I look forward to, I look forward to seeing it. I do too. Yeah. It's gonna, we're gonna, we just submitted to Sundance. Oh. So we're going to send it out to the festival circuit. Uh, we're going to submit it to a handful of films. Um, and we're going to just try to get some, some eyes on it. Just get as many people as we can see the movie. That's it's, all you can ask whole, for. That's all you can ask for. I mean, and then, you know, hopefully your friends see it and they're like, yeah, it's really fun and it's really good. And sure. You want your peers yeah. to like it. Yeah. I mean, the and then goal, hopefully somebody goes, you know what? Here's a billion dollars. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Gotta find that guy. Right. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Hollywood. Do you want me to make this a feature? No, I just yeah. want to give you a billion dollars. Yeah. Good night. Yeah. Good no, night. I mean, the goal with this was just like, this is also the first time that I really kind of flex my creative. I wanted to show people I could direct, you know, like yeah. I wasn't just an editor. Cause I get that a lot as a writer taking my scripts around town. It's like, Oh, you're an editor director, which sounds good on paper, <laughs> but like it does. I have no e- directing real. I could show you season three of dear white people. Doesn't mean anything. And right. People don't care. Um, so I was like, I'm going to go make something that's like, can show you that I know what I'm doing. Proof again, of concept. Again, it will also again, you're put you're taking things into your own hands yeah because and you're trying to trying to make something you're trying to prove to people yeah without just trying to prove it to by saying to them no but i am yeah that's right you, you are i am right yeah i got a business card you want to see my business <laughs> yeah, card yeah right yeah. right i have no that's true i mean it goes back to like i said i was that kid who like when you when you didn't you told me no i would definitely go and prove you wrong or try to prove you wrong you yeah. have to, you have to do something yeah. you, you have to yeah. and and they're going to and sometimes you're like oh, man because you know the 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 big juicy paychecks that you want to go along with that, that's not part of it. So again, yeah. it goes back to the second thing that John was to always talk about. You got to love it then. Yep. Otherwise, otherwise, why what are, are you doing? Yeah. I mean, you know, you as a uh, editor though, uh, you're already used to the, the that that there is there there is a certain type of grind, even though it's not an onset grind or a development oh grind. God. There still is a grind to it. That you know, you're, you're just the you're, hours you're talking about working yeah. fucking midnight to three and more, whatever. Yeah. Like, fuck. oh, that's nothing, dude. I worked a shift one time. Uh, editors work crazy hours, I mean, it's you never stop. And I remember, especially because to pay the bills, you got to do two or three shows at once, right? Um, yeah. but I remember I did a shift, I was cutting a feature during the day and cutting a feature length documentary at night. Um, and I worked 36 hours straight sitting at a computer without getting, I mean, I got up for like food, 
Um, but I didn't, I went to the next room for food. We ordered it in and then we sat back down. I did 36 hours straight. And that, I mean, that's not, that's abnormal. It's not like yeah. I worked 36 hour shifts a lot. Right. I was trying to make, meet deadlines, which, you know, you get pressured into doing as a creative, um, especially as an editor is hitting deadlines, which then you realize mean nothing technically. <laughs> that's the best. And it's, just for people who can't see, John has, his eyes are just all black. They're like <laughs> shark's eyes. Yeah. So he doesn't have to worry about the computer burning yeah. his retinas. Yeah. But no, you grind, man. I mean, yeah. I think if you asked my Certainly, my if you ask my wife, you ask my f- close friends, they say the one character trait I have is I, I'm a workaholic. I will work 24 hours a day if I could. Now I have a two-year-old son. so That's like, work. It's work, but now it's like finding a balance to like grind but also be there for my oh, son. Well, think good, you, he actually thinks there's a balance when you raise a two-year-old. <laughs> no, there's he a thinks balance. A kid, no, there's not. You think a fucking two-year-old gives a shit about balance? No, no, no. no he, meaning, no, meaning let me, Hold on. This is where I, my specialty comes in here. I got two kids. There's no fucking balance with kids. All the balance goes towards them. You focus on them. They are gonna. They are more selfish than you will ever be, and they will never stop being selfish until they leave the house. Anyway, back to my the point job. was by having kids. <laughs> if it takes you out of being a workaholic, so that you can focus on more important and other things, such as your child, that's a good balance for you to learn. It's a you definitely, definitely, and uh, I definitely don't grind as hard as I used to as an editor for sure. Just I your mean, teeth. Just my teeth. Yeah, but I mean, you also see the point of like, yeah, I like Dear White People. You're doing a good job. I like this work. You don't want to go edit some fucking pile of shit well, you got to look at all and day. That's, and that goes back to when <laughs> you said, like, how do you pick and choose? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm 36 years old now. I've got a kid. So I, don't, I can't grind like I used to, whereas, you know, I would cut three movies at a time, yeah. dude. And I would, like, I would do the one that would pay the paycheck, you know, give me the bills, and then I would do the two for friends. Um, but because I did all that grinding, I think I got really good <laughs> yeah. at my craft. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of, it's the whole Malcolm Gladwell thing, right? The 10,000 hours. Like, I definitely hit my 10,000 hours as an editor pretty, pretty quickly. Do you, did you go deep, deep in the editing thing, though? Were you doing, like, all the color correction? Were oh, you yeah. doing everything? All the oh, sound effects? You, you I mean, all on that some, stuff? On some shows, uh, on some shows, yeah, totally. I'll do the mix. I'll do the, the wow. color. Certainly, like you'll a uh, very common thing for features is you'll do a festival delivery, yeah. right? That is always a work in progress. Yeah. So, so just I, to get it in for the the entry, yeah, just to get, get it in, and deadline, you never yeah. have the money to properly do the color or the mix before you deli- yeah. deliver to festivals. Although I think you should if you can, because you always want to put your best foot forward. But a lot of times, as the editor, you end up doing the color and the mix and do all that stuff. So I can wear all those hats. Um, I'm doing a commercial this week. I'm going to Boulder to do a commercial. And, you know, I'm going to do the mix and the color on it. Also, because I can build that. I mean, that sounds yeah. like a silly thing, but I can do that. So it's like, why not? I'll if you want to do bones. it. Yeah, just I'll do it. And I'll get a couple extra bones thrown my way, and, and it's good. But so, yeah, I can I can wear all those hats. Um, that's great. Yeah, I mean, and on our short, I mean, that's the other thing is, like, I can write, direct, and then I can go edit. I actually had my assistant, who was on Dear White People, cut Shit You Not. Shit You Not is the short we okay. did. Um. But Mark did Mark Gasparo, who's a really good editor, did the did the cut, and I I definitely came in and did some finessing and like we both kind of it was funny. I would he did the first cut and then I would give him notes and then I did a cut and he would give me notes. So we would just kind of <laughs> rubber band it back and forth, yeah. which was really fun and I had never done that before as a director. But on this one, I really wanted somebody else to come in and like 
have a yeah, voice. Step and, back, get some yeah, different eyes on it. Really I like how the fact you guys had editor no fights. You're like, oh really? How <laughs> oh, about I note you back? <laughs> yeah. What do you think of this note? This note. And then he rips it off and hands it to you, and then you rip in your notebook. You give somebody, you rip it off and hand it to him. You're literally sitting next to each other. I have a note to that note. Um, Definitely. John Michael. Interesting that there's a hyphen in the first name. I know. What? Where did that come from? Okay, so I grew up in Arkansas. It, it's easy to say like Billy Bob or John Michael. Uh, it, it actually, my we have a lot of Johns in our family. My dad was John. Okay. Uh, my mom decided to name me John Michael because she thought they wanted a John. They wanted to name John, but they didn't want like if my mom was yelling for my dad. Didn't want two people to go. Hey, yeah. What? yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if they, she was across the house, she was so they tacked on the Michael. And just called me John Michael. Um, and I hated it growing up, I got to say. Like, I was all the time, it, when you tell somebody your name, just like I told you, yeah. there's always an explanation. Wait, so it's like two? So there's a hyphen? There's a, like a thing? So eventually, I just started going by JM. Like, people would call me, you know, JM, and it was easier than having to explain. Like, now if I'm at, like, Starbucks, and they're like, what's your name? I'm like, John. It's just John. But <laughs> if you yelled at me... So, and they, and they so st- depressed and about it. <laughs> they still get it John. wrong. It's but just John. If we were at like a party or something... As they're like, you, sad guy? Yeah. Sad guy Sad, sad guy. Sad, your coffee? Sad John? Sad John. Sad John. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just a family name. It was easy for my mom to... to I guess that's her... It probably... That was probably a lie. It was probably just a fun little anecdote my mom told me that was not true at all. <laughs> I do know they were going to name me Stephanie if I was a girl. Okay. Well, Stephanie Michael. What was like the, where, what were the, where would the hyphen have been in that, though? I don't know. There would have okay. Between the S and the T. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh, <laughs> Stephanie. Um, and you had referenced earlier that uh, your grandfather was uh, an oil painter, which yeah. is interesting. Um how does one, I mean, I don't know how much you know about him, but I mean, as far as how does one make money being an oil painter back in well, the day? Well, so, so I know, I mean, my grandfather uh, lived with me. My dad passed away when I was about seven years old, and then so my grandfather moved in and kind of became like my father figure, kind of mentor after that. My grandfather was actually a businessman. He was, he worked for a company called International Harvester, mm-hmm. which now, if you see those tractors, truck, yeah, right? back in the day, it was like agricultural equipment. Yeah. So it was like tractors, you know, turbines, like stuff like that. Now International sold and now it's just 18 wheeler trucks. You'll see them down. But my grandfather, uh, was, uh, a prominent businessman in that company. Um, for a long time, uh, for the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, was down in Brazil. So my grandfather uh, was the president of the South American branch. Okay. Um, which sounds all fancy and good. <laughs> he, he ended up like retiring when he was like 36 and was like, I'm going to live on a lake in Arkansas. So, oh, he, so he wasn't even from Arkansas. He was. No, he was from Arkansas. Uh, he was from oh, a small okay, town in okay. Arkansas, left, did his business thing, was very successful okay. at a very early age, and then retired and lived on a lake kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so my dad grew up in Brazil. My uncle grew up in Argentina. They all came back to Arkansas. Um, and I was born in Chicago, actually, randomly. Hey, oh, uh, yeah, Chicago. I was born in Elk Grove Village. <laughs> my dad's side of the family is all from Chicago. They were up there when I was born and decided to stay four years. So I was there for four years before we moved to Arkansas, and that's where I was raised. But then after my dad passed, my grandfather moved in, and he had retired. And in his retirement, he got into jazz and painting. And so he would play in jazz bands until he was until the day he died. He was like 
93 and he was in a jazz band. Did he play previous though, or did he pick up he, all this no, stuff? No, he grew. Post? So my great uncle, his brother, was a famous actor back in the day. Dick. Oh, so it was your great uncle. It was my so it was my grandfather's brother. His name was Dick Powell. He oh, yeah. was uh, yeah, yeah, very actor, famous actor, very yeah. famous yeah. actor back in the 30s and 40s, and then became a TV director. Okay, did some yeah. stuff, and he did some TV in the 50s too, didn't he? Just he acting. Did. No, no, he did. He had he had a show. It was the Dick Powell show. It was like one of those that like variety shows. Yeah, he started as a singer, like as a jazz. Singer. Oh, well, a variety show like when they when fucking cigarettes would be like oh, totally. the the Dick Powell Hour sponsored oh, yeah. by Paul Malls That's and right. you're like Paul Malls right. that was flavorful his show. smoke yeah. yeah okay yeah so my grandfather and my uncle grew up playing music as kids like in they grew up in Mountain View Arkansas um, really small town but playing I'm sure they were in like church and stuff singing and playing music and my uncle went and made a career out of it and my grandfather went and became a businessman but after he retired and moved in with us. I just grew up with him watching him play music. He'd play the organ. He would play, he would paint. And those are the things I emulated. I started painting and started playing music. And that's how I got into those things. Um, and then I would watch my great uncle's movies. Uh, he passed away in like the 60s, so I never met him. He, there's actually a really interesting story about Dick Powell and the way he died. But did you guys ever see the movie The Conqueror? Do you know The Conqueror? Uh, John Wayne. Uh, I've heard of plays it. Plays yeah. Genghis Khan. It's the okay. most racist. Oh, yeah. Most latent racist movie. Outside of John Wayne being a huge racist to <laughs> himself. Yeah. The most latent racist. Uh, yeah, so they cast John Wayne as Genghis Khan. Uh, mm-hmm. Howard Hughes produced it. My great uncle directed it. And they shot it um, on a nuclear testing site in Utah. They were like, oh, we'll, we'll fake that for Mongolia. It'll be easy. I don't know. I heard I've I've heard okay, so you're gonna you're gonna give me some background onto this. Yeah. Okay. I've heard this is some crazy shit. Continue. Yeah, so so they go shoot on what they knew at the time was a nuclear testing site, but they didn't know as much about ra- I mean they j- were They didn't know what we knew when we watched Chernobyl yeah. on HBO. So they're like three miles downwind of where they're literally dropping atomic bombs to test atomic bombs. And like two thirds of the cast and crew end up dying of cancer, including John Wayne, including my uncle, who's the director. And so they and like prematurely, like getting lung cancer and like rare cancer, lymph node cancer, which is what my oh, uncle died of. So, fuck, but yeah, th- I can't remember where I heard that, but that I, I, I never, I always thought that that was one of those like crazy rumors, but obviously you have a direct connect to this. No, whole it's thing. because they all, but didn't they all smoke well, cigs too? I mean, they were all yeah, yeah, chain but, smokers. But, Two thirds of yes, everybody that that's were fucking yeah. it's like some crazy. It, it was, was in a, a, a number ridi- that was statistically surpasses what could be yeah. normal uh, coincidental. Rate, yes, yeah, in a, in a segment population kind of that's thing. That's crazy. So he actually he, died because he he was he was filming there. Yeah, he d- I think he died in his fifties. I mean, he was young. Oh man, he was he was still still in his prime and like you know was still he still had his TV show and was directing stuff. Um, that was a really bad movie, but he directed a good one with Robert Mitchum called Enemy Below. It's like a World War II submarine movie, which was really good. But um, but yeah, so I grew up on his movies, and I grew up with my grandfather playing music and art, and then somehow I ended up here. Not somehow. Somehow. Well, it's funny because like because your family obviously has a long lineage of like artistry in it. Yes, the artistry yeah, for the sure. DNA. I think um, I'm an only child. I don't have any siblings. When my dad passed away, like. Really, all my tether to the dad side of the family, including my great uncle, other than my grandfather, really kind of died off as well. You know, it was mostly just me and my mom growing up. She was a teacher, so she would be at school teaching, and I would be at home grading her papers and stuff. <laughs> and, like, you know, it was like a very kind of like, uh, I, I would th- honestly, like, that's why I watched so many movies, is because my mom couldn't afford daycare. She'd be like, go home, and I would ride my bike to the VHS store and rent a VHS and watch movies all night. Um, but I didn't really, it wasn't like, 
my great uncle was a, a successful actor, and I just called up my uncle and was like, "Give me." There a was job. no yeah. one to call. I had nobody to call, and I, I and honestly, nobody even knows who Dick Powell is now these days. So it's not like I could throw that chip on the table and be like, "Hey, Mr. Paramount, uh, Dick Powell was my <laughs> uncle." Nobody gives a shit. And, and so my name talk, is not Paramount. Go, go talk to Mr. <laughs> Warner Bros. That's right. Right. So I um, was over talking to Mr. Universal, and he said <laughs> to come over and talk to you, Mr. Paramount. Yeah. So I mean, but I definitely grew up in the arts and. I think because of my great uncle being successful, I didn't have that family life where like I had a parent who was like, don't do this. This is stupid. Even when I was doing music, my mom was supportive and she was like, she, it wasn't like I knew at the time what I wanted to do, but she, she, even being a teacher, she wasn't like, put the guitar away. She wasn't going to discourage art. No, she was not. She was very supportive. If you discourage art in children, you're a fucking psycho. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, my mom's, Really didn't encourage. <laughs> no, there's no. Look, she might not have said, Brian, I want you to be a comedian. No, I'm just yeah, kidding. Yeah. But she, they didn't but, discourage me but at all. Right. There's a difference, though, then, too. And I get it now as a parent. Like, as a kid, I was always rebelling against it. But as a parent, there's a difference between saying, like, I really want you to go to college. Or if the subtext is, I really care about your well being, yeah. it's hard to see that at the time, obviously, as a child. Yeah, sure. Now, if it goes past the subtext being, I care for your well being, into territory where it's like, I want to control you, then that's scary. I don't understand these parents who like just don't taking want away, the- just taking away. So like, uh, f- my my parents didn't want me to play the guitar because it was too loud. My parents didn't want me to play the drums because it was too. Loud. I couldn't do this. I couldn't. Do- it's like if they if they if you get squashed every time you try to do something creative, when well, when the fuck are you supposed to be creative? He, and this is this is a very American, I think, issue. Yeah. And my wife and I had to make this decision. Like we had to collectively talk about this, which is, it's very American. To have a child and 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 try to mold that child into what you were, yeah, and yeah. it's 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 their that's their life, and and you shouldn't make them. You don't, we don't need another one of you. Yeah. Let yeah. them be them. No let one them, likes the one of you we have. Voice. And I and thankfully both of us came from families where we were allowed yeah. that privilege. But I know a lot of people that have have oh, really yeah. really horrible relationships with their parents because sure. they felt squeezed. For they sure. felt like, no, you go on this path and this path only, and I want you to be the exact carbon copy of who I was, yeah. and I want you to succeed wherever I failed, or I want you to succeed in the same way that I succeeded. Yeah. It's like, it's, you don't have kids yeah. to just move no, on. No, you to have be- fucking, go have a clone. Go make a clone if that's what well, you th- want. I think for some people, though, in their minds, that's how they look at it. Oh, yeah. That weird control thing. I do have a question for you. Yeah. No, no L.A. family? No L.A. family. I, because my- your, did your uncle not have a family? He did, oh. and I... I actually, when I first moved out, got connected through family, met with him. Had we had like lunch. So, and what dinner. family did they did he have? He out had here. like kids. And he did he, have kids. Yeah, he did. And I think he worked in casting or no, uh, sc- location scouting. Oh, okay. So he worked in the industry, but we never really struck up and kept. Main- we would email every now and then and go, "Yeah, how are you?" Kind of thing. But that was it, as far that as was the it. family really. Yeah, partially that's probably my fault too. Is just like I, like I said, I, I'm a workaholic, and I really back then I was just like trying to stay above you know, bored and just yeah. try to pay the bills. So Yeah, I mean, um, I'm always curious, like, you know, especially because he died so young. I mean, a family could also just pack up and leave and not even yeah, be in L.A. No, like, I th- would... He had kids. I mean, he was married to June Allison, who was very well. Oh, she Allison, was a she? successful yeah. actress as well. Yeah. And they had kids, like, Holly. it was like typical Hollywood family. They, like, yeah. lived in Brentwood and had kids who grew up in L.A. and I think worked in the industry. I think his son Norman did, he was a producer, um, but I've never connected with them. They're older, and I, like I said, I grew up on an island as like an only child <laughs> yeah, in Little yeah. Rock. It's yeah. like I didn't really know any of them. So, 
Um, no. You didn't so forge a letter from your, that's, from that's your exactly. grandpa? Oh, my God. Is that not the craziest fucking story? The, the whole forging letters to the co- Ivy League crap? Oh, Have you heard for, that? Sorry. Uh, oh, yeah. The whole, uh, what's 14 her name? days. Felicity Hot. Well, yeah, and then Aunt Becky's going to, she's going to go to prison, right? But here's the thing. Oh. When that came out, I was like, and? Yeah. I mean, I hate to be that guy, but I was like, and your point is... You're what, telling like, me a yeah. rich <laughs> white person used their money to get favors? Yeah, and I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I was like, this has been going on. I I Forever, thought that's what yeah. college was. I, yeah, yeah, right. I mean, yes, of course it's bullshit that there are kids that, sh- that deserve those slots that these other kids got. But I wasn't surprised by any of that stuff happened. I guess yeah. it's a bigger splash because it's people you've... Seen on TV or sure. a film? Well, the biggest sure. splash is because a a black woman tried to get uh, used a fake address so that her child could go to a better public school. Yeah, I heard. And this. went to jail. She for got it. five fucking years. Is that right? There, there's no. They, they, that's still not happening. She's still right there. Sure. She's still there. She is got, that right? But I She's, cannot imagine what that state five is fucking not. years in prison. Uh, I'm not sure. Not sure. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It's any state well, that thinks that certain types of human beings should be prosecuted to the fullest extent. Because right now, really currently, it's America. Yeah, <laughs> it's America. Because I have a friend who did 14 years for something that if I it would have happened to me, I would have done maybe six months. Really? Maybe. I mean, you first can look offense. Any... First offense. Um, it, I, it was a matter of color, in my opinion. Yeah, I read an article last week. Not to get too far off a tangent, but and get down the phrase of our judicial system but i read an article about a guy in indiana white guy uh which i think is pertinent but marijuana charge he was con- sent life in prison because he ran a company that would fix 18 wheelers right big rigs and it came out that the company that he was fixing the trucks for that were transporting marijuana he didn't even have anything to do with the marijuana, the actual distribution. He was just fixing the trucks. He knew that the company was doing it, but he thought, well, I don't have anything to do with it. Why would that in you know incriminate? How does that affect him at all? Right. And so they gave him life in prison in Illinois, and now Illinois has just recently made marijuana legal. Well right? then he's gonna get out. I would hope so, but, but like Illinois is the first state to actually sign sign the bill that's gonna legalize marijuana and reverse take all the nine nonviolent uh, marijuana Cri- criminals and let them go. But how do we even put somebody in life in prison for it, the system has been fucked for so so long. I mean Because here here's here's one of the issues about system, even if you take race out of it, yeah. You get these people that are like, I'm gonna fucking prove it. I'm gonna show I'm gonna show you. I'm going to throw the book really hard at this guy right. to send the message to everybody else. And, th- and the thing is, that's tipping the scale. Right. That's, that's your own agenda, your own arrogance, yeah. and utilizing someone. It, it's, it, in its own way, it's, like, it's, like, it's no different than public hangings, right? Yeah. It's like, I'm going to air you out to dry in front of everybody and let, let, remind everybody, yeah. don't you fucking do it. Like when you kill a cockroach, I'm going to leave that there so that other cockroaches see that and know not to fucking come in here. Yeah. Uh. Exactly, because that never works. <laughs> yeah, no. just, just so we're all on the same cockroaches page. Cockroaches will on definitely that eat their own. They don't give a <laughs> shit. Just so we can for, yeah, they eat their own. Yeah, no. <laughs> dude, thank you so much for sharing. Your yeah, dude. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, Thanks man. Congrats, congrats on the movies. Or anything else you could tell us about the movie, or is it still top secret at this point? As far as where out uh, where you are in the process of the of the film, the short that you're film? Be made. no, 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 oh. the, the movie that the you, Sony uh, film. Yeah, yeah. No, the Sony film is. Uh, yeah, we're, I mean, we're out to actors. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're, I don't know what I can say, but we're out to very talented, prominent actors good. who I feel are too good 
for me to be working with. Then let me pitch you this idea. <laughs> We've worked together yes. already. So I'm not that talented. <laughs> Maybe I show Phase up. Phase two, John. Phase two, I get into the feature. Oh, well, I'm sure we'll have a role for you, John. Oh, don't even, perfect. Don't even. Yeah, actually, some a couple people saw the short that we did, and they were like, you should turn this into a feature. So I've had a couple. Uh, one of my friends who's pretty high up at a pretty respectable company was like, you should turn this into a feature. So oh, we'll hey. see what happens with that. But that It's all awesome. on you. Yeah. Again, <laughs> people can say whatever they want, That's but it's right. still on you. Yeah, yeah. I got to go right? write the thing. Are you engaging yourself in the, uh, will you be engaging yourself fully in the uh, casting process? And right now what you're doing, obviously, is you're, are, you, are you making, would you potentially make offers to certain people yeah. they don't need to come in and read for you or anything? Yeah. The, 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 these roles that you're going off these of right roles, now, you're just making an offer. Yeah. Here's the script, here's an offer. That's right. Yeah, we're at a budget range where, um, you know, we have a cushy budget, not a great, and not like, we can do whatever we want budget, but enough of a budget where we can make money offers to actors. Um, and the level of actors we're offering are, you know, the type of actors who mo- are working. They can, they're working all the time. So you can't really make offers to these types of actors to do a read. Um, you're, it's either, and I've, I've found, found out through this process, they want exclusive offers. So you make an offer to an actor, like uh, let's say you offer... Um, Willem Dafoe, right? Who's an indie actor who does a lot of indie stuff, but can really choose whatever he wants. Uh, his agent will want you to make a money offer, meaning there's money there, not like you're making an offer and then going out to find the money. Right, right, right. They want the money to be in the bank, yep. right? And then they want you to make the offer exclusive, which means no other actors are reading the script. Until he says yes. Which is great, except then that tells Willem Dafoe, I don't have to read the script anytime soon. And so then you get you into these... You Oh, dude, you, I, I'll make an offer to an actor... And, and it's not the actor's fault. It's the mechanics of the process. Yeah. Their agents and managers getting involved is the fucking what fucks up almost all of it. But it's t- it makes it hard because then what ends up happening is, especially because I'm low fish on the totem pole, and let's sure. say I go offer Willem Dafoe, well, th- let's say the same week, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese comes and offers Willem Dafoe, right? Then his uh, offer is going to push my offer off yes. the table, and it won't matter. Or it pushes your production if you really needed Willem Dafoe, and then you get stuck in this never-gets-made thing, and, and then sometimes, eventually, people go, you know what? I've changed my mind. I don't want to And this is what we call movie. development hell. Yeah. yeah. You hear about it a lot. <laughs> you get stuck in this place where you've got a good script. Um, people are interested. There's buzz. It's getting handed around, and you're starting to get conversations with actors going. But you honestly, uh, and a lot of times, agents will use your project to get other offers. So they're like, yeah, 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 come give me the offer. You go, great, here's the offer. Here's how much we're going to pay you. And then they go to Steven Spielberg, and they're like, oh, he just got three offers this week. If you're interested, you really might want to make that offer. And then the next week, Spielberg offers, and they're like, great, see you later. We're going to go with Spielberg. They use you. They'll it's use well, you. It's, to get it's, yeah. All of it is a game. Oh, I mean, it really is. But but I, here's what I do believe. Yeah. Um, in, in, in my tenure of doing uh, independent filmmaking is, one, once, once you head down that path, your movie's getting made. Yeah. Once you've gone down that way, it gets made. The second phase is there's this really hard focus to get very specific people, and then everything shakes out, and then ultimately I believe you get who you were supposed to get. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you get to set and you realize, I did get who I was supposed to get. Yeah. Because at first you may see a series of no, 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 yeah. and you're like, uh-oh, this no feels like it's trending in the wrong direction for me. and But what it's doing is it's leading you, it's like an arrow that's leading you right to the person that when they show up, you go, oh, shit. Yeah. 
thank God it pointed me right to this person. Yeah, I think that's right. I do. I think that, I mean, it's easy in hindsight to look back, but I think a few of the projects, like the project that I had that fell apart, I'm not glad it fell apart, but I think in some ways I'm much more passionate about the thing I'm doing now, and I wouldn't have even written this script had that not happened. So for whatever reason, things happen, and again, if you just keep going, yep. then eventually you're going to find your way to the place you're supposed to be, I think. And and that includes finding actors, too. Like, dude, John Ennis. Like, I, I had written that short, Shit You Not, like six months before I offered before I decided I was going to go find John Ennis, but it really was finding John Ennis that was like, Oh, that was the catalyst to getting the whole thing made. And had I, had I not gone down that path, I, I don't think I would have ever even gotten the movie made. And it happened the way it was supposed to happen. I wrote the short before I wrote the Sony feature and then the Sony feature took off and I was like, Oh, I won't even worry about this short. I'll go just (laughs) make this feature. Then the Sony (laughs) development hell started and you're like, okay, well, um, you know, this is taking a while. I'll go back to the short. But had that not happened, I probably would have never ended up yeah. knocking on John Ennis's door. Yeah, and, and we wouldn't be sitting here. We wouldn't be sitting and here. And this podcast will change your career. Yeah, isn't so. this is crazy? pretty much the, probably the best piece of the puzzle. This right. is the pinnacle. <laughs> this is the pinnacle. Yeah, butterfly effect. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, but seriously, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You thank you very much. I really enjoy the podcast. I've been listening to it a lot. I really enjoy it. That's <laughs> crazy. You're yeah. one of the first people that we've ever talked to that's actually listened to the show. Ryan Stout really? and you are the Yeah, two. Ryan Stout and, and my dad. And your Oh. Yeah, well, yeah, my mom was on for a little bit. Yep. Yeah, yeah no, true. the minute you told me you had a podcast, I started listening. I really enjoy it, man. It's oh. in my rotation every every week. I'm thank listening. you, man. I yeah. appreciate that. For sure. And uh, thanks for coming and doing the show. And then thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 